Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where tour players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Join Chris every week as he talks with the greats of the game. You are the smartest guy I've spoken to on radio or television in my career. And Chris, again, you are, you're knocking out of the park. You're like eight under par in this interview. By having any research, I'm hiring your tail to be the research man. You're the best. You're a fantastic host and tremendously respected in the golf community. Yeah, Chris, you do an amazing job and your listeners are super lucky to have you and it's always my pleasure. Chris Carroll is the king of the golf podcast. Don't miss him on Tuesdays. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and welcome to Next on the Tee. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro. I'm coming off a wonderful weekend being out at the Mitsubishi Electric Classic at TPC Sugarloaf here in Atlanta. A great event out on the Champions Tour. Stephen Ames goes out and gets a big win. I got to spend some time with Billy Mayfair and his wife, Tammy, who are both outstanding human beings. Billy will be coming back on the show a little bit later on this month. I got to walk a few holes with Paul Stankowski and Paul joined us on the other show that I do for ESPN Radio here in Atlanta on 680 The Fan, uh, called simply The Golf Show with Brian Katrick and J.R. Ross on Sunday mornings. Paul came over and spent some time with us there. Uh, I got to spend time with Owen Brown, which was a lot of fun, plus met some new friends out there that will become guests on the show a little bit later on this summer. So a huge week, so much fun. I can't thank the tournament officials enough and all of the guys for making it a wonderful week for me. And uh, I certainly look forward to catching up with them and having them guests on the show again here real soon. Okay, on to tonight. First up is going to be one of those guys that I spent some time with last week, Scott McCarron. Scott is hitting the ball so well and rolling it well on the greens. It's just a matter of time before he's back in the winner's circle. He'll be a part of the show tonight. I mentioned Paul Stankowski. He's going to join me on this show again tonight. So looking forward to having Paul here. He shot 66 on Sunday to vault inside the top 25. Looking forward to having him as part of the show. He'll be followed by a couple of good friends here of the show. Top instructor Kevin Roman and Shrixon Cleveland Golf VP of Sales Eddie Dry. We'll hear about the great things that Brand is doing this golf season. Shrixon Cleveland Golf have a lot of great equipment. They're going to give us a huge education about how it's going to help our games, help us lower our scores, hit some really good golf shots. Eddie is one of the most educational guys in the equipment industry. And as you guys know, Kevin is one of the top instructors in our game. So looking forward to having them here tonight. And then we'll round things out with one of the all-time great major leaguers and a wonderful friend of the show now, Fred Lynn. Fred's fantastic. You guys, if you've listened to him when he joined us last year, you've heard some great stories. He'll share more of those. Just went through double knee replacement, so he's just getting back out on the golf course, and already his game is rounding into shape. So looking forward to having Fred back as part of the show. So it's going to be a really fun 90 minutes tonight. Thank you all so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me. I want to start out tonight by reminding you about our friends at the McLemore, which is a private resort located just south of Chattanooga, high atop Lookout Mountain, Georgia. It's a casual two-hour drive from Atlanta, Nashville, and Birmingham. The existing Highlands course is now ranked in the top 100 courses you can play in the United States by Golf Digest. The 18th hole, as a matter of fact, is ranked in the top 10 finishing holes in the world. 
A second course, the outpost, is now under construction, which will open summer of 2024. The outpost is another Bill Berg and Reese Jones design and features a mile and a half of dramatic cliff edge, with every inch of that edge filled with a golf hole. A world-class hotel, Cloudland Lookout Mountain Curio Collection by Hilton, will open spring of 2024. Both the course and the hotel have incredible views into historic Macklemore Cove, 1,200 feet below. You gotta see it to believe it, folks. Stay, dine, and play golf above the clouds at Macklemore. Go online to macklemore.com to book your stay and play package today. Now let's talk grips. I want to tell you about Lampkin grips. Every shot, as you know, has its own unique feel. The trick? Feel comfortable with each one. And comfort is built into the very DNA of Sonar Plus Black Grips. Composed of their Genesis material that provides supreme comfort and durability with their fingerprint technology creates a strong connection and unforgettable touch. The game changes from shot to shot. The feel on your hand shouldn't. Lampkin. Feel is everything. I also want to remind you about the all-new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade. If there's one thing we know golfers want from a driver, it's distance. But there's actually two things we all want. Distance, and let's not forget, forgiveness. That's why TaylorMade designed the Stealth 2 driver with even more carbon for even more forgiveness. To learn more about the new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade, visit them online at TaylorMadeGolf.com. Okay, now back in next on the tee with me is 2019 Champions Tour Player of the Year, Scott McCarron. Let me remind you about his background. He's from Sacramento, California, played his college golf at UCLA, where he graduated with his degree in history. Following that graduation, he stepped away from the game for a few years to help his father and their family get their golf apparel business going. Came back and turned pro in 1992 and earned his way under the PGA Tour in 1994. He won three times on the PGA Tour at the 1996 Freeport-McDermott Classic by five strokes over Tom Watson. Here in Atlanta in 1997 at the Bell South Classic by three strokes over David Duvall, Lee Jansen, and Brian Henninger. And he repeated at the Bell South Classic in 2001, winning by a stroke over Mike Weir. He partnered with Bruce Litsky and later Brad Faxon to win the Templeton Shark shootout three times. And he and Brian Henninger paired up to win the Fred Meyer Challenge in 2002. Since joining the Champions Tour, Scott has won 11 times, and one of those wins again back here in Atlanta at the Mitsubishi Electric Classic. And like I say, in 2019, Scott won the Charles Schwab Cup plus the Jack Nicholas Trophy for being their player of the year, and he added the Honor Palmer Award for being number one on the money list. Recently fought his way back from foot and ankle injuries, and I'm very honored to have him back with me again today here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Scott, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Chris, happy to be back. Scott, I know you're coming off playing here in Atlanta this past weekend at the Mitsubishi Electric Classic. I had uh, the privilege of watching you on the range on Sunday morning. Looks like you're hitting the ball very well. You're headed into a major now over in Alabama at the Regions. How do you feel about the state of your game? Well, you know, my game's just been okay. A little up and down. Um, I've, had a, I've had a lot of tournaments where I finished uh, inside the top 20. The last couple of weeks, I was inside the top 20 going into Sunday, and I had two bad Sunday rounds. So a little disappointed uh, with my finishes the last two weeks. Um, but I'm still hitting a lot of good shots and making a bunch of birdies. So uh, there's definitely some good things that are happening. And I, I met a golf course this week, uh, Greystone, which is a golf course I like. I've played well at before. 
So looking forward to uh, a good tournament. Looks like the weather's going to be nice and warm this week, and golf course should be in perfect shape. Scott, like I say, you're you're about 18 months away from having had foot surgery, and, and uh, I've I've said many times as I was watching you kind of go through the rehab and and you were having to put the foot up and the peg leg that you had going on that you were probably the best one-legged golfer in the history of, of the game. How, but how are you feeling <laughs> physically? Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, Chris, it's, it's uh, taken a long time to get over the, uh, the foot injury uh, with the ankle surgery, but uh, I'm starting to feel pretty good, to be honest. I'm not thinking about it when I'm swinging, which is great. Now it still gets a little swollen at night um, after, uh, after walking, especially last week, walking 10 miles in that golf course flat up and downs, but uh, I'm feeling good. And if I'm going out there and not being able to, not having to think about it when I'm swinging, you know, I'm pretty much over all that surgery stuff. So uh, now I'm ready to start playing some big golf. And uh, hopefully that'll, that'll start here this week. When I was watching you on the range and then looking over your stats, I mean, you still hit the golf ball a very long way. I think right up there with anybody still out there on the PGA Tour, let alone the Champions Tour. And you're just a, a few months younger than I am. I'm I turned 58 in April. I know you'll turn it in July. You drive last Friday. You hit one 354. You're averaging 295 on the season, which is third out there. I mean, talk about your driving distance. It doesn't seem like you've lost anything from your days on the PGA Tour to right now. Well, certainly, I think uh, a lot of it has to do with the equipment, um, with the driver and the ball definitely going a lot farther. Um, I'm still in pretty good shape. I still work out, you know, three or four or five times a week. so I'm able to swing fairly fast at it. Uh, I still have about 170 mile an hour ball speed. So I'm in the upper echelon, uh, certainly on the champions tour. And I would be about average on the PGA tour, but uh, the upper echelon on the PGA tour, those guys hit it a lot farther than I do. I mean, some of these guys are getting almost a 190 ball speed. So, you know, it's just one of those things that I've always hit the ball far. Um, it's something that uh, even I did on the PGA tours in the top 10 driving distance. I think my first seven years on the PGA tour. Um, and I think I was second last year on the Champions Tour to Padre Harrington. So I'm still hitting it far, uh, which is good. I still hit it fairly straight. I, I think that's probably one of the best things that I do is drive the golf ball. I've always been a pretty good driver of the golf ball. And last week, uh, you know, I, I had some pretty good drives out there. That one that went 354, uh, obviously caught a little bit of downslope and, and went a long way. So uh, I was able to take advantage of a lot of those holes. Uh, on Saturday, I drove two of the par fours and they got eight irons and nine irons into a couple of the par fives because on a couple of those holes, you can get it over some of the ridges and it'll run about 50, 60 yards. So, you know, it's just something that uh, I've, I've always hit far and I'd like to continue. I'm 57, I'll be 58 here soon. And I feel like my swing uh, is still just as fast as it's ever been. Scott, I'm going to try to avoid the interview jinx, but looking at your stats coming into the tournament this week, you had gone 109 holes without a three putt which tells me you're rolling the ball really well. How are you feeling on the greens? Well, the putting's been uh, decent. Um, you know, I've, I've been a little bit of streakier this year than I have in the years past, uh, a little more consistent in the years past. This year, I've had some good putting rounds, and I've also had some poor putting rounds. So, um, you know, I've been working a little bit on my putting. I've uh, seen a few guys, Dr. Craig Farnsworth, and I worked a little bit with Ronnie Stockton. Last week, uh, he was up in the Charlotte to Wells Fargo working with a bunch of guys and happened to see him on a flight uh, going to Charlotte. So we got together on Monday and spent a couple hours together. Always good being uh, with the Stocktons. They're, they're a great family. And I used to I used to get lessons from uh, their dad, Dave Stockton. I used to go duck hunting with 
Dave Stockton and his son, Dave Stockton Jr., who, you know, we kind of grew up together playing a lot of golf and uh, played on the PGA Tour together. So it was good getting with those guys. But, you know, it's just a matter of getting out there and trusting it and uh, being able to roll the ball on your intended path. And, and last week's greens were very, very fast. And with the windy conditions made it difficult. So I had a few three putts that I'd like to have back. But all in all, we're definitely trending in the right direction. You guys have back-to-back majors now with the tradition over at Greystone Golf and Country Club in Birmingham coming up this week. I know that's where you're at now. You've got a bye week after that and then followed by a, a senior PGA championship up in Frisco, Texas. To me, majors are as much a mental grind as they are a physical grind. Is it tough dealing with back-to-back majors sandwiched around an off week? Well, I think it's a lot of fun for us. Uh, one, we get to play. It's a four, they're both four-round tournaments, so that's a lot of fun. Uh, there seems to be uh, a little more pump and circumstance when you get to the golf course. Uh, we get some bigger galleries, especially here in Alabama. Um, we'll remain to be seen when we'll get Frisco. But uh, usually we get some good crowds for the uh, PGA, and we're going to a place that was just built by the PGA of America. And I hear it's supposed to be fantastic. So looking forward to that. You know, having two majors back-to-back, uh, for us, it's a lot of fun. I mean, we have five majors on our tour. Um, sometimes they're spread out a little bit, and sometimes they're <laughs> all lumped together. So uh, this this year, uh, we've got the regions, and then we have a week off, and then we go right into the PGA, um, which should be great. And then uh, play a couple weeks, and then the uh, senior open. So, you know, it's kind of fun for us to play these majors, and uh, I like playing them back-to-back. The tradition is a tournament where you've had success in the past. You finished in the top six three times. Back in 2017, you're right there until Bernard Langer shoots a 64 in the final round. But you had three rounds in the 60s that that week. Talk about the course and the success you've been able to have there. Yeah, it's definitely a golf course that I've had some success at. Uh, I felt like I could have won a couple times here and didn't get the job done on Sunday. But also felt like uh, you know I had my chances, but some other guys played better. So we played a great round. Strings played great rounds. Uh, I've been in the final quite a few times uh, on Sunday. And it certainly is a golf course that fits my eye. I mean, a lot of the uh, par fives, I'm able to, you know, get it, drive it down there pretty far and uh, have a chance to go at some of these greens with irons. And uh, it's just, it's a, it's a good golf course. And uh, you got to, you got to drive it well. And you got to keep the ball in play. Uh, and under the hole, a lot of these greens can be a little tough. And they've got some really good par threes on this golf course which I think uh, make this golf course tough. And and then it's got uh, kind of exciting finishing hole with that par five with the creek running all up the right side. And then the creek uh, transfers over to the left side up by green with a little bit of a lake. And, you know, it's a tough driving hole and a really tough second shot. So it's a very good risk reward hole. And with all the galleries, the big grandstands behind there, it's a, it's a great finishing hole for us. Speaking of majors, on the PGA Tour, the PGA Championship is back at Oak Hill this year. You finished tied for 14th when it was played there in 2003. Also had a great week when the Senior PGA Championship was held there not long ago. What do you remember about the week in 2003, the week you had there at the Senior PGA, and what do you think about the golf course? Yeah, that, that was the week Sean McKeel won. Hit a great shot uh, on the last hole to win uh, his major PGA Championship. It's a great golf course. I actually uh, was able to go back and play the senior PGA a couple of years ago um, where Ken Tanagawa made about a 15-footer for par in the last hole to beat me by a shot. So uh, that was one that I, I felt uh, I could have had uh, as well. And So it's a good golf course. They've now done a total redo um, after we finished a couple of years ago. 
And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what it looks like uh, on TV. I guess they took out a lot of trees. Some of the routing's a little bit different. Um, so it should be an exciting championship. And it was, I just remember it was always a very difficult golf course, um, but a lot of fun and very fair to play. Later this summer in August is the Shaw Classic, an event you won back in 2018, thanks to a great final round 63 that included a hole-in-one that you jarred on 14. Right after your shot, Bernard Langer nearly aced it on top of you. Take us back to that hole-in-one in the wild back nine where you and Joe Durant went back and forth. It was a tremendous finish and a great victory for you. Yeah, that was a good victory. And that was, uh, I think I won, had won two in a row there uh, at Shaw Charity Classic. Uh, it was another golf course that uh, I really enjoy playing. It's a very narrow driving golf course. But one, if you hit it straight and far, you can reach a lot of the par five. So uh, I won twice in a row there and then went back to defend the, the third time and uh, eagled the last hole, looking like I had a pretty good chance. And then uh, West Short Jr. hit a shot that ran, landed in the middle of the lake and hit a rock in the middle of the lake and bounced on the green. He was able to two-putt for birdie to beat me by a shot. So probably the worst break i ever seen for myself, but one of the best breaks i ever seen for another player, West Short. And, uh, you know, or else that would have been three in a row. That would have been pretty exciting. But it's a, it's a fun golf course, and I'm looking forward to uh, going up and playing this year. Scott, we're going to have something this year on the Champions Tour that I've been hoping for for years, and that's a sort of combination Ryder Cup, President's Cup-like event called the World Champions Cup. And I'm excited that we're going to be able to see that finally. Jim Furyk is the U.S. team captain. How much does wanting to be on that team motivate you? Well, I think that's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, I, I wish we would have done it four or five years ago. Then I would have been on the team easy. So I got my work cut out for me now uh, to get on that team. And, you know, I haven't really talked to Jim uh, or talked to our guys too much about that, um, how they're going about uh, picking the team. And But it would be one that I would really like to play. And I think it would be a lot of fun. So uh, that's certainly a goal I'm setting is to start playing some good golf to have a chance to be on that team. Um, should be a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I think it'll be great for a lot of these guys that played Ryder Cups, and President's Cups against each other to uh, to be in that scene again. Um, all the great names that uh, we watched over the years on those great uh, Cups. And actually, it should be great. So that's something I, I would love to play in. Your Twitter background image is the seventh green at Pebble Beach, one of the most iconic golf halls in our game. Is that your favorite course? And, and what's the range of clubs? that you've had to hit on that hole, which typically only plays about 106 yards, sometimes down into the 90-yard range. But with the winds and all, they can play havoc on what club you have to hit. What's the range you've had to hit there? I, I, yeah, I have. I had one year where I played uh, a Pro-Am right before the AT&T, and uh, the winds came in, dead in, and it was a four-iron that day. Um, just trying to chip it down there, and it was blowing 45, 50 miles an hour. Balls we're getting on the green and blowing from the middle of the green all the way off on, on six and seven. And, uh, by the time we got to eight, they actually, uh, they called the, they called the round for the eight. And I think, uh, I think everyone, I think leader was about 10 over at the time through about eight <laughs> holes. <laughs> it was quite a day. Uh, but, but again, you know, you Pebble beach is just one of my favorite places uh, to play. I grew up as a kid. In Nona, California, and we played all well, their tournament champions was there. So I played junior events there, amateurs event there, and then uh, got to play there many times in the PGA Tour. So I, you know, played over Pebble Beach probably over a hundred and something times, and it's just a golf course that's one of my favorites. And 
just absolutely love love being out there at Pebble Beach. Scott, one of the things I've talked about recently with Hal Sutton is when to play to win and when to be conservative, because sometimes you can snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. In 2017 at the Allianz Championship, you go out Eagle 18 to edge Kenny Perry and Carlos Franco for the win. Talk about your mindset on the second shot on 18, knowing that Eagle wins the golf tournament for you. Birdie gets you into a playoff, but par's no good. Yeah, I do. I remember that very well. Um, great golf course in, in Boca, and it was a par five. I hit a really good drive up the right-hand side, and uh, we were hitting right into the thing. I hit, hit seven from about 8,500 yards over a tree, over a bunker. Um, and when I got over the ball, it was just one of those things that you couldn't see really anything. So I had the tree. I had the sun was setting. And uh, I had to just kind of pick out a uh, blade of grass in front of me and set up and just trust that I was lined up correctly. And I think that actually helped me because I wasn't able to see any of the trouble. I was blinded so much by the sun that I just made a beautiful swing, just hit the 700 about as hard as I could. And uh, when I hit it, I never saw it. You know, I turned to my caddy and I'm like, where'd it go? He goes, it looking looking good. So um, when we got up there, it was about uh, six, seven feet just short of the pin, just a little bit left. And you know, I had one of those putts that, uh, you know, you want to have to make to, to win a golf tournament. I was able to pour it in to, uh, to win that championship. And it was very exciting win for us and uh, was a lot of fun. Scott, is there a goal you haven't achieved yet or a tournament you haven't won that you have circled on the calendar? You know, I wouldn't say that there's one specific event that I have that I want to win or that type of goal. You know, for me is is getting back and being patient. Um, having a chance to win these tournaments with nine holes to play, put yourself in that position. That's really why I play and practice and eat right and work out and do all those things I need to do just to get in that position, to get those feelings um, that you get when you have a chance to win a golf tournament. You know, sometimes winning, you know, you win some and sometimes you lose some. Sometimes you you play well to beat everyone. And sometimes someone just beats you. So you can't really control that. All you can do is control yourself and your emotions um, and being patient and being one shot at a time and, and put yourself in that position. So you have an opportunity. So my goal is more just getting myself an opportunity more often um, to have those, those chances. And uh, you know, lately I really haven't done a very good job of doing that. So uh, that's, that's kind of where I've, where I've got to be right now. Just got to be patient and uh, enjoy, enjoy the game and be grateful that I get to still play the game. I love for a living at 57 years old. Scott, when I observe you around the other players, it just it feels like you're a leader out there on the Champions Tour, a leader of the players. How much how much leadership do you get to have? How much input do you get to have on what's going on out on the Champions Tour? Yeah. You know, Chris, it's, it's funny that you say that. Um, you know, I was on the board when I was on the PGA Tour. I've been on the pack here on the Champions Tour for many years. And um, I've certainly been a voice that challenges the tour and the administration every chance I can. We, because Peter Jacobson told me when I became a board member on the PGA Tour, my job was to question everything that the PGA Tour did. Um, you know, ask these questions of why can we do something better? How do we get better? And that's certainly I've certainly something that I've taken to heart. You know, all through the PGA Tour and on the Champions Tour, and I've I've done that for the last six seven years um, on the Champions Tour. Um, you know, now it's kind of like you have to, you have to sit back and pass it on to the younger guys coming up because you can't be that guy that, that takes over every meeting. Um, and you, you've got to educate some of the younger players that are coming up 
on how things run. So I'm taking a little step back. Um, I guess maybe a little four step back from the tour uh, as far as the being a, a leader out there. But I'll certainly be back again at some point. Um, but I'm not on the pack this year and I'm not on the board. Do you see any changes coming up on the Champions Tour? I mean, this has been, and you talk about upheaval. There's been a huge amount of upheaval in the game of golf between the PGA Tour and what's going on with Live Golf. It seems like the, 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 the Champions Tour could benefit from some of that. Do you see any major changes happening? Well, that's a great question, Chris. Um, I think that the PGA Tour Championships needs to start changing. I think, uh, one, we've got a gentleman that's going to come out in a couple of years that has told a lot of us, me specifically as well, that he's going to play. And if Tiger Woods comes out and plays seven to ten times, that's going to be huge for our tour. Um, it'll be, you know, we've got to get our purses up. Uh, we're at about two million bucks right now. We've got to get them up to about three million over the next year and a half, two years, I believe. Um, we've got to entice Tiger to be able to come out there and play. You know, Tiger might have to take a cart at that point, and uh, hopefully he'll come out and do that. And so we we need that. Um, you know, these are the greats of the games, the Hall of Famers, uh, the people in our demographic and that people demographic from 40 to 70 all watched us growing up um, playing on the PGA Tour as, as young adults and kids. And the, that demographic is huge. Uh, that's the buying power. Um, of America. So, you know, we have a great opportunity to, and we have a great product in the fact that uh, the players themselves, um, you can get up and talk to these guys. Um, when you have a pro-am pairings party, all the guys show, um, they do a phenomenal job in the pro-ams themselves. So I, I think we've got a great product. I think we've got to continue to push the limits to get these purses up a little bit. And uh, we got to get ready for the next generation of guys coming up to continue it. Um, I'm not so sure the, the PGA tour is on board with that. And I think, uh, you know, we, we need to keep pressing Jay Monahan, who is, uh, our supposed leader. Um, and we got to push him as much as we can to, to help the champions tour. Um, as much as he's been doing with the PGA tour, we really haven't seen any benefit at all. Has that been one of the downsides of live golf and Phil going over to be uh, over on live? Because it seemed like, you guys got a, a little bit of a shot in the arm when Phil was starting to come out there. Is that, well, is that an, I think so. Certainly. Yeah. I would say, you know, Phil, uh, not being able to play our tour, um, uh, definitely hurts us because when he came out and played, it was a big shot in the arm for us. Uh, our ratings in Jacksonville that year, he played beat the PGA tour. Um, I also don't believe the PGA tour likes that, <laughs> you know, when the champions tour beats him in ratings. And I think some of these guys coming out, um, when you've got a, a, a Lee Westwood, um, could be coming out in a couple of years. Um, Hendrick Stenson, Ian Poulter, I mean, uh, Graham McDowell, these guys were, you know, great, great players on the PGA tour, great Ryder Cuppers, great European guys. You know, as of right now, unfortunately, they won't be able to play. Um, and people say, well, they're going to have a ton of money. They won't want to play. The thing is, we're all golfers. We all love to compete. I don't care how much money you have. Um, you still want to be able to compete and play. So in four or five years, when, uh, they're not playing live anymore. When, you know, Liv's looking for the younger guys, if they're still around, um, we certainly, that would be a huge shot in the arm for us to have those guys to be able to play. It remains to be seen if they will be able to. Why wouldn't the tour want you guys to succeed like that? That's the question you have to ask Jay Monahan. Wow. That's a head scratcher to me. I mean, you guys are, you know, all, you would think all in the family, right? Kind of thing. But you would think so. Yeah, you would think so. 
Scott, before I let you go, remind our listeners, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing? Follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media. Yeah, you follow us online, uh, you know, pjtour.com does a nice job with uh, that website. You can follow me on Twitter uh, at Scott McCarran. And then uh, I have an Instagram, but I really don't do much on Instagram. So don't follow me on that one. <laughs> I really don't know how to do it. My wife does, but I don't. <laughs> great. Uh, God, I can't thank you enough for being generous with your time and coming back and and being a part of the show. You're absolutely one of my favorites. I can't wait to catch up with you again, hopefully sometime soon. Anytime. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Scott. Take care. You got That is the great Scott McCarron, folks. Just absolutely one of my favorite guys out on the PGA Tour anywhere, for that matter. I marvel at his golf swing, the strength and the power that he has. He's a fantastic guy, as you just heard. Clearly a leader out there on the Champions Tour. I sure hope he makes it to the World Championship Cup team. I'd love to be able to uh, to root not only for Team USA, but Scott McCarron wearing the red, white, and blue. I think that would be a huge draw. I'm looking forward to that later on this year. And hopefully, like I say, we are blessed to get Scott back on the show again soon. Before I get to my next guest, Fred Lynn, I want to remind you about our friends over at Adele Golf. Power and precision. Adele Golf's SMS and SMS Pro irons offer the ultimate in iron adjustability. Featuring the revolutionary swing match weighting technology, precisely dial in each iron to your swing by moving the heaviest weight to its optimal position for maximum performance. Learn more about them by going to adelgolf.com. And folks, do you sway in your off balance in your golf swing? You know what? It could be your shoes. A golf shoe needs structure to provide stability and reduce sway. How can you tell if your shoes lack structure and are hurting your game? If you can hold your shoes by the toe and heel and twist it, toss it. Squares was designed for the perfect balance of structure and comfort. Isn't it time you tried squares? Try the new Speed Bolt at squares.com. That's S-Q-A-I-R-Z dot com. Looking for the ultimate Myrtle Beach golf experience? Well, it's only a click away. Check out the two-play special at two of America's most awarded public golf courses, Caledonia Golf and Fish Club and True Blue Golf Club. They are low country masterpieces featuring two iconic Mike Strands designs. Play these two incredible courses for one great price. Visit CaledoniaGolfAndFishClub.com to learn more about the two-play special and book your tee time today. Again, that's CaledoniaGolfAndFishClub.com. Okay, now back with me and next on the tee is Major League legend Fred Lynn. Let me remind you about Fred's background. He's from Chicago, Illinois. When he was one year old, his family moved out to Southern California. He was a four-sport star in high school, playing baseball, football, basketball, and he ran track as well. He was drafted by the New York Yankees, but chose to attend USC instead, and thank God for that. He helped USC win the College Baseball World Series in 1971, 72, and 73. He was then selected by the Boston Red Sox in the second round of the 1973 draft. Spent only two seasons in their minor leagues before going up to Boston late in the 1974 season. In 75, he came, became the first player in Major League history to win the Rookie of the Year and MVP awards in the same season. Over his seven seasons in Boston, Fred hit 308 with 124 home runs and 521 RBIs. In one of the dumbest trades in Red Sox history, 
He was traded to the California Angels in January of 1981. In 82, he helped them win the American League West Division Championship. Despite follow, uh, falling to the Milwaukee Brewers in the ALCS, Fred was named the ALCS MVP, becoming the first player on the losing team to win that award. In 1981, after only seven seasons in the major leagues, Lawrence Ritter and Dominic Honick included Fred in their book, The 100 Greatest Players in Baseball History. In 1983, Fred hit a grand slam in the All-Star game, becoming the first player to do that. He would go on to play for the Orioles, Tigers, and Padres as well. Retired with a career batting average of 280, a 360 on-base percentage, 306 home runs, 1,111 RBIs and 1,960 hits. He was a nine-time All-Star, won four gold gloves. In 1996, he was inducted into the USC Hall of Fame. 2002, inducted into the Red Sox Hall of Fame. 2007, inducted into the National College Baseball Hall of Fame. And in 2011, he was inducted into the Ted Williams Museum and Hitters Hall of Fame. July of 2017, inducted into the Omaha College Baseball Hall of Fame. And I'm very honored I get to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Fred, thanks for coming back on the show. Yeah, it's a pleasure, Chris. Great to talk to you. Fred, since we last talked, you've had double knee replacements. How are you doing? Are you pain-free now? Yeah, I, it basically, it's uh, I had two partial uh, knee replacements, uh, both on the insides of my knee. They're the bone on bone, and I was pretty much just worn out. It is pain-free. Uh, what drove me to the surgery, uh, that kind of pain is gone. Yeah, I'm still stiff, uh, but I'm going through my PT like a mad dog. You know, it's not my first rodeo with PT, so I know how to do it. And I'm kind of, I always push the envelope when it comes to that kind of stuff. So I'm probably a little bit ahead of the game. There's not much I can't do right now. Um, I, I actually I just had my first uh, plane trip across country and I survived that. So I'm happy about that. So I've checked off a lot of boxes, Chris, and I'm doing pretty well. And Fred, about a month ago, you posted that you uh, played your first nine holes with those new knees, made a birdie out there. So how are you feeling about your golf game? Are you getting back to where you were? I played nine, and like I said, I, I, I missed a, about a 10-foot a birdie putt on my first hole. I couldn't believe it. I said, well, it would have been nice to birdie the first hole. Um, but I did uh, play nine, and then I played 18. Uh, my first 18, I, I rode a cart, which I never do, um, shot 77. So right out of the gate, it was, was not bad. Um, and then the next time I played, the week after that, I played nine holes and I walked. Um, and I survived that. And now I'm to the point where <clears throat> I'm going to get back to the game. I, I haven't played since that. And I'm probably going to walk on Saturday and we'll see how it, I, I play, I, I think I'll make it as far as my knees and uh, I might get a little fatigued. Maybe we'll see how my game goes, but uh, I'll just be happy to be out there again, uh, walking that little ball around, make some birdies maybe. <laughs> so to that end, right. I mean, I got to imagine you're going to become more and more pain-free as, as everything's, you know, heals and everything is good. I got to imagine that's got to be a huge relief for you because no matter how much you're used to, playing in pain it's got to be in the back of your mind when you're swinging that this could hurt or that could hurt or when you're walking that you know it, it's it's painful to get up and down from from greens and that sort of thing this has got to be a huge relief for you and i gotta imagine even better for your golf game 
I think in the long run, um, you're right. I mean, I was probably favoring, especially because I swing left-handed. My my left side, my left knee was a little worse than the right. And then, you know, you load up on that side. So that knee takes a little bit more pressure than the other one does. Um, It was getting to the point where just walking was bothersome. You know, it's been so long that (laughs) I've been pain-free. I can't remember when it was. Um, in fact, my legs were, so I was so bow-legged, it looked like uh, croquet wickets. Wow. Um, and now I'm straight. So I gained about an inch and a half of height, um, from the surgery, you know, I'm Is that right? I'm, I haven't been able to put my knees together. I can't even remember how long that's been. So just everyday stuff that I do, uh, I, I don't feel it anymore. Yeah, I'm stiff. You know, I still have stiffness. That's just from the surgery itself. And, but, uh, the pain that drove me to the surgery, that's all gone. So I'm very excited about that. Um, you know, I, it's my career playing baseball. <laughs> I, I had a bunch of injuries. And at the end, I said, you know, I, I think I'm getting a little tired of going out there and struggling through the pain. And, and if I would have had a, a surgery to get rid of that at that point, I would probably play some more baseball. But, um, this, like you said, is just a gigantic relief for me. Just doing ordinary things, just sitting around, uh, doing household chores. Um, all of those things are a lot easier now than they, they, they've ever been, to be honest. Fred, you mentioned in a tweet that you never tire of golf banter with friends. You specifically mentioned Mark Kalkovecchia, who's a wonderful friend of this show. And Mark is also making his way back from knee replacement surgery. How do you know Mark? Um, I met him a couple of times um, at uh, charity events. And then uh, we've uh, conversed on on Twitter, and he's got a pretty sharp wit. <laughs> he, he, he maybe he played baseball <laughs> because he's got that kind of sense of humor. You know, we're um, we're not fatalistic, but you know, it's especially in my era that I played baseball, eh, there was a lot of pressure <laughs> back then. Um, and so you you your sense of humor it might be a little bit more cutting, a little more dark. And I, I kind of sense that with Calc. Um, you know, he was kind of a flamboyant guy, always went for the pin, which I liked. Uh, I never played it safe, which I liked. <laughs> if, if he had been an outfielder, he'd been running into walls like me. <laughs> and Fred, when, when you started doing your rehab back in March, you posted a video of you in your pool walking around when the pool water was a cool 56 degrees. That had to be brutal. Lowering yourself into that water, I'm sure it did in your knees a lot of good, but boy, that's that takes a lot of guts. You know, uh, as an athlete, you know, you're used to ice. Um, you know, ice is our friend, um, and ice only bothers you, or cold temperatures only bother you for that first minute or so. But yeah, you're you just you just kind of grit your teeth, and you know that after like two minutes, that's about it. You won't feel anything. But then you don't want to move because as soon as you move, the water starts swishing up on parts of your body that aren't numb yet. You go, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, uh, I was going to my knees and not much higher. <laughs> as you look out to the rest of the summer, Fred, do you have a goal in mind for what you want to achieve with your golf game? Again, I'm anxious to see, Chris, what my golf swing uh, looks and feels like. Um, you know, I, golf is one of those games that I took up because I had pretty good hand-eye coordination and it, it came pretty easily to me. 
I'm kind of self-taught and I, I watch TV a lot and I see what the guys do on TV. And I said, oh, well, see if I can emulate that on the driving range. And uh, maybe somebody would show me how to hit a particular shot and then I go practice it. Uh, and that's how I learned. So now with these new knees, um, I'm kind of excited to see how my swing has evolved. Um, when you get older, you know, your backswing gets shorter. There's just no question about that. So you try to, to compensate, uh, with a shorter backswing, maybe moving your hips a little bit quicker through the hitting zone, like you would a baseball. Um, so I'm just anxious to see how it plays out. I know my short game, that's not going to change. My putting shouldn't change any. Um, but as far as my length, we'll see, uh, you know, for my age, I, I can still move it. Um, it will be whether I can score with my wedges. Uh, that's what I'm kind of looking forward to. Um, that was the hardest part uh, of my game when my knees were bugging me because I, I wasn't completing my backswing with my legs. And now that they're they're pain free, uh, I hopefully I can score more with my wedge game. You and Jim Rice have played a lot of golf together. How's Rice's game? Long. <laughs> uh jimmy hits the ball okay so when i met jim uh we were in bristol you know double a uh i didn't sign until mid-july of 73 so their season was darn near over right so we meet up and uh louisville slugger back in the day uh would give you 200 dollars to use their bats basically have your signature on the bat so Jim and I decided instead of taking that 200 bucks, we took golf clubs. And so we kind of learned together. There were Wilson staffs where everything looked like a two iron back in the day, right? And we just kind of grabbed it like a, a bat and just beat the heck out of it. Um, and we could, we could squash the ball. We just didn't know where it was going. But Jimmy took the game a lot more seriously, a lot quicker than I did. He became a, a really good golfer. He hung around with Hawk Harrelson. If you remember right, he was an announcer with the Red yeah. Sox, obviously made a big name with the White Sox, but uh, he wanted to be a pro golfer at one time. So he and Jimmy uh, started palling around. And Jimmy picked up a lot of game from him. And uh, Bob Montgomery was a really good golfer. He was our backup catcher to Carlton Pisk. So he hung with those guys and he really took time to uh, think about what the golf swing was. He was a little bit more analytical about it than I was. I, I kind of played like I played baseball. You know, I just kind of put the ball on the ground and whacked it. Um, but Jimmy thought about it a little bit more. So his game advanced quicker than mine did. But when we play together, we never play against each other. We're always partners. And for, geez, for as long as we've been partners, he's the guy that scares everybody. Because when he hits the golf ball, Chris, it makes a different sound. I don't care if you're the pros on tour. I don't care who you want to match up. I'll match the sound that Jimmy can make <laughs> when he hits that golf ball with a driver. Anybody, he it's like a seven degree driver, and wow. it's just yeah, the really? club just there's no club shaft strong enough. It looks like it's made out of rubber. When he starts his the club hit down into the hitting zone, that that thing is bent. <laughs> it's I saw him snap the head off a driver uh, just at contact. And I said, that's not right. <laughs> Back when we were using persimmon, right? And, and it just comes down in that, that, 
that shaft was just groaning. And he hit the ball, and they, the, the head just snapped right up. Toom, we're about 150 yards. I could be outgunned here. So that's why he's my partner. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. And you've been out to the kingdom, right? And you're a tailor-made guy, aren't you? Yes. What's it like when you've been out there to, to test their products and get fit? Um, when I went uh, there, uh, Tiger Woods was either coming or just, I think he was coming in. So Tiger's bag was like right next to mine. And, you know, all, all his clubs in a big locker form and stuff. And I said, well, this is pretty cool. Some guy named Tiger Woods is coming here, too. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> I'll let that sink in. So. Uh, again, I'm not a, a technical guy, but w- when I was hitting their their irons, uh, I, I noticed that when I made nice contact, I just it was like butter. And and then I, I got to the driver, the stealth, and uh, I felt like I could move. I always want to be able to move the ball both ways. You know, hit a, hit a little draw if I need to, sort of like hit a cut if I want to, and I can do that with their driver. Some drivers it comes off so hot that I can't do that. So I don't want to be limited uh, with what I can do, especially with the, the driver. To me, that's next to the putter. It's the mo- most important club in the bag because you got to keep yourself in play, you know, get it down there as far as you can. I'm not one of those guys that really says, well, maybe I don't need a driver in this hole. Nah, I need a driver in this hole because I'm going to get as close to the green as I can. So I need to sometimes when it's a little, narrow more narrow i need to be able to manipulate that driver and i can i can do it with a self so what's your go-to shot if you if you're in a in a pressure pack situation you're playing in the tournament what's your favorite what's your go-to club in your bag uh probably mid irons um i you know especially i can hit a six iron that's you know back in the day that was like my 180 you know maybe even 190 uh, right now it's probably 180. When I'm playing well and I'm playing a lot, and and I and I can move that club. I can hit a little draw. I can hit eye cut. Um, I I I I know what I'm going to do with that club. Uh, I'm a pretty good, you know, five six four five six iron guy. I I, I kind of like those clubs. Uh, I'm pretty good with them. I just need to get better with my wedge. <laughs> I need to give myself some 12 footers instead of 25 foot. You know, I hit them on the green. And with a wedge in your hand or an iron iron, you should be knocking pin down. And I haven't been doing that uh, of late. So, you know, that's my goal is is to go out there and, and start uh, scoring, you know, 150 yards in. I'm sure you've had some opportunities to play in some really great events and on some fantastic golf courses. What are some of your favorite memories and favorite courses that you've had an opportunity to get out on? Um, right before my my surgery, um, I, I got to play uh, uh, Pebble Beach again, and it was uh, kind of in the winter, so it was, you know, what it's like. Well, any time it could be like that in the summer up there, but um, it was misty, little fog. You know, you know, we're teeing off on the first hole. And it's a hard dog leg right, which not a great shot for me, a left hander. And I'm just thinking, okay, I kind of see where I'm supposed to go. And, you know, Caddy's saying, well, kind of go over there. And I'm thinking, yeah, all right. Uh, but anytime I can play pebble, I don't care what the conditions are. You know, it, it's just such a, a, a fun golf course. And when you see it on TV, you only see the back nine. 
Uh, the front nine's kind of fun too. Um, some pr pretty good holes, you just don't see them a lot. And uh, the greens are so tiny there. And uh, local knowledge comes into play big time. And I just, I just like that golf course because no two holes are the same. You know, they're, it's laid out so, uh, wonderfully that, uh, you have to, uh, be able to move the ball both ways. And I, I think a golf course, you know, I don't want to have a stock shot on a golf course. I can just hit a cut all day long. You know, that's great if you can, you know, if that's your game. But I, I like to be able to, to manipulate the ball and move it. And that's the, the fun part for me. And on the golf course like Pebble, um, you're required to do that. So I got to ask, and you mentioned that we don't get to see the front nine all that much. The par three seventh hole, that little short par three, 106 yards. And I guess it plays anywhere from high 90s to, to right around 106. But when, but when the wind kicks up, I've heard guys talk about hitting any, anywhere from five iron to 60 degree wedge. What's been your experience playing that hole? Yeah, I've, I've played there three or four times and it's different every time. Yeah. Normally it would be like a, a gap wedge or something like that. Um, the, the wind, the, the ocean is on your right. It's in front of you. It's on your right, but the wind comes off the west. So it comes right to left mostly. Um, and it can hurt a little bit. So you don't want to hit a, necessarily a high shot. You want to knock something down. Even if it's the playing the 110 or whatever it is, uh, you don't want to get the ball up in the air because it's, the green is as big as a dime. It's not big at all. Uh, you know, that's sort of a hole you're supposed to hit it. But if there's any wind at all and you get the ball up in the air, it's going to move 10 yards and you'll miss the green. And there's no room to the left. Left and long, you're in the rocks. So uh, I've hit, the, the most club I've hit there is like a knockdown seven. You know, kind of put it and just hit, just hit up, try to let a little line drive back in your stance and just keep it low. And uh, that's, that's how, you, how you play those shots. And that's how I play them anyway. Uh, there's a shot at Torrey Pines. It's, I think it's number one, two. I think it's the third hole. And it's a downhill par three, ocean to the right, bigger green, uh, but a big barranca on the left. Same kind of thing. If the wind kicks up and you play and pins far left and there's a big barranca there, you go long left, you're gone. That's a, making a double bogey. So same kind of shot, knockdowns. So anything that's on the water, or on the coast uh, in California, you got to play some of those knockdown shots. Outside of Jim Rice, who are some of the other athletes or entertainers that you enjoy getting out on the golf course with? You know, uh, geez, I probably started playing in these celebrity tournaments and charity events probably in the mid-70s, mid to late 70s. And uh, I, I used to play in the, the Frank Sinatra, which was out in the desert. And it's kind of like a, a mini Bob Hope uh, tournament. And it's just all kinds of celebrities, actors, and comedians i remember playing with buddy hackett you know i, I he was so funny i couldn't i couldn't even play he was telling <laughs> jokes all the time and you know he speaks you know how he speaks and yeah. it's just <laughs> you laugh so much that you, you can't play golf and who cares anyway we're just having a good time it's all for charity anyway uh, so i really enjoy those kinds of things playing with uh actors and actresses and comedians uh, people that sometimes, you know, maybe other athletes from different sports, football players. Uh, I, I played in uh, a tournament 
Billy Kilmer was an ex-quarterback for the Washington Redskins. He grew up uh, uh, in the area where I grew up, and he had an all-football tournament, but because we, we grew up in the same area, he invited me to this tournament all the time. And Gail Sayers and Dick Butkus, uh, Bolitnikoff, uh, Ben Davidson, guys like that were playing. And <laughs> football players back then, they're a little different breed of cat. You know, <laughs> some of them could play golf, but they like to have their libations. And so we'd have picks on every hole. And you know, it was a good thing I was spending the night there because I couldn't have drive, driven home. <laughs> <laughs> Some of those things were probably a little bit too much fun. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of football players, one of your former teammates at USC, Lynn Swan, we talked a little bit about this last time. Swanee's a member out at Augusta National. We sort of made a plea to get you out there with Swanee. Has he uh, he reached out yet to to invite you to come play? He's he's, he's got... He's a little tone deaf, I think. You know, he's he's still got his helmet on sideways or something. He's covering up the ear hole. Swanee, hey, Swanee. Remember me? Lynn Swan, Fred Lynn, you know, returning kicks. Yeah, you would think he's got to reach out and get you on Augusta National, right? Yeah, come on. We'll just play a practice round. You know, I'll give you shots. I don't care. (laughs) So, Fred, do you have? Are there courses still on your bucket list that you want to play? Well, that's number one, obviously. Of but course, I've never even been there. You, you see it on TV, and it's like, geez, <clears throat> I don't think TV does it justice because it does you not see the undulations of, of of the golf course just walking it. Number one, and number two, the greens, how, how the shape that they are they're in, you know, the slopes on the greens, and boy, I think if you played there without a caddy, you might shoot a hundred and something. But uh, yeah, I, I'd love to to play that course just to see what it's like for myself. Um, you know, you you I could probably play um, aim on corner. You know, you'd be looking around for forty thousand people. But you know, playing it by yourself, it would still be interesting. You know, you just, I, I would envision fans and try to uh, simulate the pressure of that little par three, one hundred fifty yards. Uh, and, and the guys are struggling because the wind comes through there and they can't tell where it's going. And uh, that's that's just kind of stuff that makes it fun. But yeah, that's still got to be number one, I think. I, I, I mean, where else would you want? To play? I mean, I, I've never I've never played golf in Europe, so I, I suppose if uh, in Scotland or Ireland you know, play some of those courses, uh, link style, you know, windy uh, trap balls and stuff like that. And I like scotch, so that would work out with my. <laughs> that would work for me too. <laughs> Fred, I want to switch gears. I want to talk a little bit of baseball with you. And last December, we lost Gaylord Perry. And looking over some of your social media, it appears like you and Gaylord were friends. What's your favorite Gaylord Perry story? Uh, okay, so <clears throat> I faced Gaylord uh, when he came over. You know, he was with the Giants. That's where he made his name really but then he came over to cleveland the american league and i faced him and you know paul would do some funny things sometimes uh and, and you know he had his reputation we all knew what was going on so now he's with the seattle Mariners, and he's trying to win uh number 300 all right it was obviously a big deal and he's he's an older guy i don't know how old he was but he looked like santa claus and <clears throat> he's <laughs> He's wetting them up uh, just about every pitch. And then you know what he do? 
just to, to mess with you, he'd take the rosin bag and he'd just start jiggling it and just get so much rosin on his hand that when he released the ball, you'd see like a puff. Poof. It's like a gunshot, you know. You see like a puff of rosin, and he'd do that just to mess with it. But <clears throat> so he's, he, I, I'm telling you, the ball's dancing like Fred Astaire coming up to the plate. Well, Reggie Jackson's on the team. This is the California Angels I'm with now. And I don't know if this kid's game or week or whatever. And Reggie <laughs> had enough. So he took the Gatorade uh, barrel and he threw it to him. He said, here, use this. And you know, <laughs> it, it bounced on the field and Gatorade's you know, all over the place. Of course, Reggie was asked to leave. Uh, but he didn't care <laughs> because he couldn't get a hit anyway. <laughs> That's crazy. So you know what you you know I, some somebody some old timer told me he said hey kid you know how you hit a spitter and I said no how do you hit a spitter he says hit it on the dry side. <laughs> All right. Well, that's what I tried to do with Gaylord. Didn't work too well. <laughs> June eighteenth, nineteen seventy five. Your rookie season. You guys go up to Detroit to play the Tigers. You hit three home runs and a triple going five for six with 10 RBIs. What a way to announce your presence as a rookie. What do you remember about that game? Uh, I remember preceding that game, I just lost a 20-game hitting streak. Uh, Mickey Lowlich, uh, their their premier left-hander, I think I was 0 for 4, maybe even 0 for 5 the night before. So, uh, you know, that was that got under my skin a little bit, and so I went to the park early, took some extra BP, and Dwight Evans threw it, by the way. And we went to, a lot of us went to the ballpark early in Detroit because there wasn't much else to do back then. So <clears throat> Joe Coleman was pitching. And as a rookie, you don't know these guys. You just know the name. And you'll ask in the dugout, so what's he throw? Well, he's got a fastball slider. He's got a, some kind of curveball, some sort of off-speed pitch. Okay. <laughs> so you, that's it. So you just go up there and you look for the ball. That's what I do. <laughs> and then, you know, so I, I see ball, hit ball. Uh, so at the first three innings, I I home homer homer triple and I had driven in seven. <laughs> in the triple, uh, if you ever see this replay, it's kind of cool. Uh, the home runs were pretty well hit. In fact, the second one hit off a light tower right center, kind of where Reggie Jackson hit his home run in the All Star game of '71. And so that was a bomb. So the I hit a the triple was into left center, and the ball was about I don't know six inches off the dirt uh, out and away. And I reached out and I just, I don't know how I hit it that far, to be honest, but it missed being a home run by about four inches. And um, then I see, what did I do? I lined out to second. I got an infield hit. And my last time up, we're up 12 to one. And there aren't many people left in the stadium. <laughs> and there's two more guys on. I come up in the ninth, eighth and ninth. And I hit a ball into the upper deck and there's no one there. I mean, there's no one there. That ball still could be there. Um, <laughs> so I'm not sure got it the, the next day. I don't know. But there was nobody up, up there to get it. Um, so, yeah, I drove in 10. And, and so we go out to dinner uh, after the game, right? And we're going to a pretty nice restaurant. And <clears throat> they said, sir, sorry, you can't come in here. You don't have a sport coat. We're happy to give you one, but you can't come in here without a sport coat. So I just, <laughs> one of my teammates says, you know what kind of night this guy just had? We don't care. You can go across the street over there. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll teach me not to have a sport coat on. I couldn't even get into the restaurant. 
Well, maybe if I'd have gone six for six, maybe that'd let me in. (laughs) But when you're having a night like that, right? I mean, a lot of times, you know, after you hit one home run, let alone two or two or three, one's going to come high and tight. Were you were you were you looking out for one? No, it didn't happen because it was you know we were so far ahead. Um, But that did happen my my first year, and it already had happened because that was middle of June. Um, that kind of stuff was happening in April, uh, especially with left-handers. They knock you down just to see what you're made out of. Uh, I make, I remember this one guy knocked me down in Milwaukee, and the next pitch I hit a homer. And so when that kind of stuff happens, when you let the other clubs know that you you can't be intimidated, they don't do it anymore. So I, I kind of squelched that um, after you know you prove that uh, you prove your worth and. You, they piss you off. You're gonna you're gonna hurt them. Then they don't do it anymore. So and even in that game, it was so out of hand that uh, they're not gonna do something like that. They might do it the the next time they see you, but certain, not that game. Rico Petroselli is a another wonderful friend of the show. You guys played a couple of seasons together. What was it like playing alongside Rico? I like Rico a lot. You know, um, that '75 team was just loaded with rookies. You know, Rice and I and Rick Burleson, we're all three rookies, and we're all 20, 22 and 23 years old. White Evans is only 23. Uh, so we get a lot of young guys. So the, the Yaz and Yastrzemski and Petroselli were the two guys, two position players that were on the 60-70. So, you know, they kind of were the, the, the veterans of the group, and Rico was a veteran in infield and Yaz in the outfield. Um, Rico was just a good guy. Uh, he had moved from short to third, and man, he had he had some great hands. He had hands that like a second baseman, uh, but he had power. You know, I, I think he was one of the first uh, shortstops at forty homers, um, and he was just a good guy. You know, his career ended short. Uh, it was shortened because he got hit in the head. Uh, we're playing a day game in Milwaukee back then. Uh, they filled the seats uh, in center field. Didn't matter. You know, they they, they were going to make. All the money that they could, and you know, people were wearing white shirts and stuff. And I remember Rico never even moved; he just see the ball, hit him in the side of the head, and then he had vertigo after that, and it cut his career short. You recently took part in an episode of PBS's Iconic America series. This one was about Fenway Park. What was it like for you being a part of that show? I, I watched that show. Uh, boy, PBS did a great job. They they got into the real history of the ballpark and the people ran it and owned it and it, it was really interesting and having played there for seven years as, as Red Sox and then played obviously as an opponent you know I had lots of things to say about the, the ballpark and it's just the for me it's my favorite ballpark of all time to play in it has as a defender there's so many unique things about playing center field there that aren't in other stadiums. You know, you got the green monster, you got the ladder, you got the scoreboard. You, uh, there's this speaker system used to be out in center field. There's a doorway. There was wrought iron fence with Gothic spikes on it that you had to avoid. I mean, there was just so much stuff that was unique to Fenway. Uh, it was just fun to be there. And obviously then the atmosphere, because the fans are so close, there's no foul line. If you foul out there, you're going back. That's why one of the things that puts points on your average, there are no foul outs there. 
It's not like playing in Oakland. So, uh, and the Mystique, it's the oldest park in baseball. And it just has so much history and all the greats that played before me, uh, from, from Babe Ruth to Joe DiMaggio and Mickey Mantle and, and, and then the Tris Speaker, there's just hundreds of guys that stood where I stood in center field. Um, so I, it was when I first got there, I just was saying, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. <laughs> and I did that over in Yankee Stadium too, but, uh, before they, they renovated. Uh, and so I'm so happy that they kept Fenway intact. Yeah. They added some more seats and they, they gin- put some gingerbread on it, but they kept the field intact and it looks the same to all the, the people that go there. And you, when you walk out of those tunnels and you come to, you see all that greenery, uh, it's just, it's the best. Fred, just a couple more before I let you go. And when you left Boston, they certainly didn't treat you great. The fact that they traded you at all is one of the worst things that ever happened to Red Sox Nation. Then and now, you're beloved by all of us. And it seems like the relationship is has been healed or has gotten back together because you're a wonderful spokesman for the Red Sox, and we all love seeing you out there. How did that all come back together? It came back together when the new ownership took over in 2002. Um, prior to that, uh, with, with the Yankees in control, you know, they didn't really want me back, <laughs> to be honest. It was not a, a great relationship. But as soon as the new owners took over, they were, they righted a, a bunch of wrong in my book. They brought a lot of us back. Um, the first thing they did was they, they put me in the Red Sox Hall of Fame, which like, you know, I was flabbergasted. Um, to, to be, to have the, the club reach out to me. Uh, when I hadn't heard from them since I was traded, uh, it was a big thing. It was a big deal because I, I was, I was drafted by these guys that came up with the Red Sox. I wanted to be there. I wanted to play my whole career there. So I have a, a definite affinity to the, to the city and the ballpark and the fans. And so now it's given me a chance to uh, see the fans again. Uh, I go back there since 2002. They've been hosting the Legend Skybox for them. Uh, for different people and I, I get to talk to the fans and when I'm in town, I, I, I see a lot of people and it's just, it's fun for my wife and I, she used to work in Boston too. So it's a great relationship and, and I'm, I'm sure happy that uh, that new ownership took over. Got to get your thoughts on, on their season. They got off to a kind of a poor start, but they've been red hot lately. What's your expectation for this Red Sox team? I'm stunned <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, I didn't have any expectations for the club because, you know, let's face it, they got rid of some pretty good players, um, some pretty good hitters. Those kind of guys are hard to replace. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to figure out how they're going to score runs. I, I just didn't see them hitting for power. I didn't know where the power source was going to come from. And they've really surprised me. They're scoring a lot of runs. Um, and I just, I look in the box scores and I see guys hitting. I know Verdugo could, he can hit. And the, uh, was it Yamaguchi, uh, the Japanese player that they got? That guy can hit. Um, but there's a lot of question marks for me, but they're, they're doing it in the toughest division in baseball. You know, the biggest surprise to me is, is Tampa. I mean, I, I didn't see that coming. I, I knew they'd be okay, but geez. What a start they got off to. So that division, again, everybody knew Baltimore was going to be tough. They're not going to sneak up on anybody this year. They're good. And when the Yankees get healthy again, they'll be back. 
And Toronto got five guys who can tear the cover off the ball. So it's an exciting division. I'm glad the Red Sox are competitive. Um, they're just going to have to hit their way uh, to the playoffs. But right now, it seems like they can do it. Fred, before I let you go, remind our listeners, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you out there on social media? Well, I, you know, I do have a Twitter account and we, we chronicled my surgery, uh, my surgeries, my, with my knees and we're trying to uh, let the, the fans know what's going on. And, and, and I've got some really interesting responses because of my knee surgeries from people that were thinking about it, but didn't want to do it. But now are saying, well, you know, wait a minute. You know, if he can do two, maybe I can do one. And so it's given some people some hope. And, and I've now seen where people have actually had some surgeries uh, after I had mine. And they're doing the PT just like I, I, I laid it out for them. And so it's kind of fun. Uh, you know, obviously, I like to talk baseball. But now we're communicating on a kind of a different level. And I'm also hearing from uh, different doctors and PT people. Um, that are excited that I'm doing the process the right way and communicating uh, to the public about it so that uh, more people can get this done if need be. Well, Fred, you are an inspiration to all of us. You have been ever since you came up in the major leagues, and I can't thank you enough for being generous with your time and coming back and sharing your golf stories, sharing more of your baseball stories. I hope we get the privilege of catching up with you maybe a little bit later on this summer to find out now that you're out there playing again getting through 18 holes, how the knees are holding up, and if you can get that handicap back down to a two. <laughs> you know what? That'd be a heck of a goal. Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm going to pin that one and because <laughs> I, I have the, the capabilities of doing that. And so let's talk later in the summer, and I'll have some game under my belt then, and, and uh, I'll be better able to analyze my golf game, and maybe I'll come up with a few more golf stories for you. There you go. Fred, you're fantastic, my friend. I can't thank you again for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. I look forward to catching up with you later this summer. Thanks, Chris. You always do a great job. It's always fun to talk to you. I look forward to doing it again. Thank you, Fred. That is the great Fred Lynn, folks, and they just don't come any better than Fred. He's a, he's a wonderful human being, and we obviously know what a great player he was during the course of his, his major league career, and, and now getting to learn about him out on the golf course is fantastic. I was uh I was sorry to see he needed to have the knee replacements done. But when you go out there and you take a look at his videos and how he's going through that physical therapy and the things that he's doing to get those knees back right and healthy, it's fantastic and inspirational. He's a great guy and a, and a heck of a player out on the golf course. So look forward to catching up with him. We'll, we'll find out. Can he get that handicap back down to a two? He was there and uh, he slipped a little bit back because of those knees. But hopefully he gets right back to where he used to be. Really looking forward to having him back uh, as part of the show again soon. My next guest is going to be Paul Stankowski. And before I get to Paul, I want to remind you about Two Under, men's performance wear. They're the unofficial underwear of the PGA and the 2020 Ryder Cup team. Ricky Fowler is their global ambassador, and over 50 other PGA, Corn Ferry, and Champions Tour players wear them. Just to mention a few, like David Toms, Jerry Kelly, Justin Thomas, William McGirt, Scott McCarron, and Chris DeMarco. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort from the tee box to the boardroom to the bedroom. Use code NEXT20 to save 20% off your order at 2under.com. That's the number 2, 
UNDR.com. Two under, performance in your pants. And you walk a lot of miles in life and on the course, so make sure you're walking in the right shoes. Scone changes the game with an affordable line of the most comfortable, versatile, slip-on golf shoes that can be worn anywhere. They're made with breathable microfiber fabric, spikeless treads, and an adjustable lace lock. And they're easy to clean, too. So spend less time changing shoes and more time living in them. Visit scony.com and use code NXT on T20. So next on T20 at checkout for 20% off. That's scony.com, S-K-O-N-I.com. They're also available at golf specialty retailers and green grass pro shops nationwide. Relax. Easy now. Find your happy place. It's all in the hips. Just tap it in. Yes! Find the latest clubs and apparel at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. All right, now back and making it an even dozen times with me on Next on the T is Champions Tour Pro, Paul Stankowski. Paul has been a great guest on this show, going all the way back to episode number seven on June 1st of 2014, so nearly 10 years ago now. I always look forward to get to spend time with Paul. He's a fantastic guy, and he's been a wonderful supporter of this show. means a great deal to me. Let me remind you about Paul's background. He's from Oxnard, California, started playing golf at the age of eight. He attended the University of Texas at El Paso, where he was a three-time All-American. Paul won the Western Athletic Conference Championship in 1990. He turned pro a year later in 91, got his first pro victory at the 1996 Nike Louisiana Open. He backed that up by winning the very next week on the PGA Tour here in Atlanta at the Bell South Classic, becoming the first player in history to win on what is now the Corn Ferry Tour and the PGA Tour in back-to-back weeks. In all, Paul has seven professional victories and 31 top 10 finishes. We can now see him playing out on the Champions Tour like I just did this past weekend at the Mitsubishi Electric Classic, where I got to spend the best half hour of the year so far walking a couple of holes with him. I give Paul a lot of credit. You hear me talk about it every time he comes on the show because, like I mentioned earlier, he was on show number seven. So he agreed to come on a show he never heard of with a guy he never heard of, which is absolutely fantastic. Tells you all you need to know about Paul Stankowski, and I'm very thankful he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Paul, thanks for coming back on the show. Yeah, I'm doing well. I, I You know, I'm stunned. Uh, episode seven was uh, when I was on first. That was that was early. That was back when probably nobody had heard of you either, but you turned yourself not. into a rock star. <laughs> I don't know about that, but I give you a lot of credit for coming on a show that you never heard of almost now 10 years ago. Amazing stuff, and I can't thank you enough for that. No, it's it's fun. I, I love being on your show. As, as I said uh, that first week, um, you're the most prepared guy uh, uh, on radio. And, and uh, from an interview standpoint, uh, you're the best. So um, that's why uh, everybody wants to come on your show, because you're really good. I appreciate you saying that, my friend. So, Paul, it was great getting to spend some time with you the other day. You played really well this past week at the Mitsubishi Electric Classic. Great final round. How are you feeling about where your game's at? Well, um, you know, I feel pretty good. Um, I, I've played a lot of golf, so I, I, I like where my game's at. <laughs> I've, uh, I'm, I'm a little gassed. You know, this is, uh, the fourth week in a row for us. So this is a, a, a tough stretch for a bunch of guys over 50, uh, to, to compete four straight weeks. And, and, um, you know, Chris, back on the PGA tour, I missed about half my cuts and 
I didn't play very many pro-ams because I wasn't, you know, an elite player for, uh, for most of my time. So toward the end of my career, I, you know, I'd show up on Tuesday, I'd play nine holes in a practice round. I'd have a light Wednesday. I'd play Thursday, Friday. I'd probably miss the cut. Well, half the time. And I was home. So two and a half rounds of golf and on the champions tour, um, we play a lot more than that and there are no cuts. So you're playing for three straight days, plus a couple pro-ams and, and um, I've played more golf here in the last two and a half years than I probably played in the 10 years prior combined. So um, safe to say I'm, I'm uh, a little gassed, but, uh, but I do feel good about the way I'm, I'm hitting it. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm thankful for ice baths and, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, some medication that uh, like uh, anti-inflammatories. <laughs> But like I say, great final round, 66 in the final round here. And and TPC Sugarloaf is no joke of a golf course. The the undulation changes, the the elevation changes. It's a it's a tough little golf course. And to go out there and shoot 66, it's got to build some momentum for you. You got to feel good about that last round. I, I do. I, you know, I played I played solid all three days. And, and uh, but unfortunately, I made some mistakes uh, the rounds one and two and. I made a triple bogey in the in the the, the second round on a uh, I hit driver pitching wedge and at one point my ball was about twelve thirteen we'll say it was fourteen feet from the hole and and uh, thirty seconds later it was forty yards back down the fairway and and uh, hit that forty yard shot uh, about thirteen feet too short and it came back three yards behind where I was so forty three yards away and the next one got came about fifteen feet short came back uh, about three feet in front of me and it would divot. And um, I got that one on two putted for a smooth triple bogey, and and uh, those kind of things hurt. And you, you can't waste shots uh, on this tour. There's a lot of really good players, so uh, I do feel about good about the way I played. It was nice to to shoot six under par, bogey free on Sunday, and and um, I think I, I just need to clean up mistakes. And and uh, bad shots are going to happen, but uh, you got to be strategic in your bad shots, and and you can't short side yourself and put you in bad spots, and so. I, I seemed to have been doing that uh, of late here. Uh, the last couple tournaments, I've made some mistakes, and and uh, but I've also hit a lot of really good shots, and and uh, so I am encouraged with the way I'm I'm striking it. And if I can clean up the messes on aisle ten, uh, we might be all right. <laughs> Paul, you have a history of playing well here in Atlanta. Like I mentioned in your intro, one of your wins on the PGA Tour came here in 1996 at the Bell South Classic. Before we talk about that win. You were actually the sixth alternate to get in that week. You come off of winning on the Nike Tour. Now you're a sixth alternate to get into the Bell South. Talk about what it was like just trying to get into that event. Yeah, you know that that was a uh, uh, that was a fun a fun stretch of of my career. And uh, you know, winning uh, on the Nike Tour, um, you know, I missed uh, I missed every cut on the West Coast in '96, and and then went to New Orleans or went to the Honda, missed the cut. And showed up in New Orleans and uh, finally made a cut. Uh, the next week, I was not in the Players Championship um, as a Q school guy, so I went down and played on the Nike Tour in Lafayette and and happened to win that thing. So winning there, being six alternate the next week, uh, I met some good friends in Atlanta uh, who became good friends uh, in Atlanta. So we decided to, to bypass going to Tallahassee on the Nike Tour. Uh, and going over to Atlanta and, and just seeing if I could get in, right? And um, we uh, finally got the call on that Wednesday that that uh, one of the players had pulled out, Steve Hart, and and uh, I jumped into his spot and 
yeah, just kept the the you know the good times were rolling at that time, and and uh, made a lot of putts and and beat Chambly in a playoff. So, uh, it, you know, golf is weird. Uh, professional golf is hard. Golf is hard, um, and to get to this level, I, I'm so grateful. Uh, and and uh, to go from missing all those cuts, Chris, um, not making a dime through January, February, and early March. Um, can be a little bit stressful, but, you know, I just tried to take away from each week a little something and it uh, seemed like I was encouraged every week, even though I was missing cuts by a shot or two. Uh, I seemed to miss uh, to leave the week going, okay, well, maybe this week my driving was a little bit better. My iron play got a little bit better or, you know, you know my short game is pretty good. So I, I didn't leave discouraged. I was encouraged. And I think that that's a, uh, that's a great mindset to have um it's not something that you can just turn on though i i'm I'm just grateful that 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 was my disposition if you will um during that stretch and and uh uh, but that being said you know i i didn't see a win on the nike tour coming uh the week in lafayette and i for sure didn't see a win on the pga tour uh my first ever uh but when it happened it was it was like uh well i mean it was just a a shock really you know like okay wow this is what i dreamed of doing my whole life and and uh i got to do it and that opened up a ton of doors over my career and and you know i'm sitting here at 53 years old playing the the pj tour champions um really i i look back to that week in in atlanta at the bell south at atlanta country club and think well that that was the springboard to you know playing after 50. you talk about a shock i mean in the span of two weeks you went on the Nike tour, you went on the PGA tour, and then you wake up Monday morning following the win at here in Atlanta. You're headed across the state and driving up Magnolia Lane. Talk about a shock to your system. That had to be unbelievable. <laughs> that was pretty crazy. Uh, there's no doubt. You know, as a kid growing up in Southern California, um, you know, that was a dream, right? To, to get to the Masters and, and uh, you know, I used to watch it on TV and and it all just happened so fast. And, and literally, you're right. I, I finished my round on Saturday. I went, drove over to the Mason house. Uh, we ordered some pizzas. I did my laundry and uh, woke up Monday morning and my wife and I took off down I-20 and and up Washington and pulled into Augusta National. And, and I'm thinking like, what on earth is going on here? You know, eight days before I was trying to win, a tournament, and lo and behold, here I'm at Augusta playing in the biggest stage with a two-week winning streak. I mean, like that was pretty crazy, and and uh, it took me five days to 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 bow out and miss the cut by a handful, and and uh, was down the road. But uh, thankfully, I got to go back a couple more times, and uh, it's just fun to get to play a little boy's game, Chris. And and uh, you know, uh, I'm still doing it at 53 years old. It's you know, I hit a ball, and uh, it's pretty crazy. So, but I got to ask you. When you, when you get over there to Washington Road and you, and you make the turn on to Magnolia Lane, what was that like? I mean, I, how are you, how are you processing? Like, where the heck am I? How did I get here? And now I'm, I'm driving up Magnolia Lane. I mean, if it were me, I, w- I would have been doing a, you know, I would have been idling up Magnolia Lane. They would have had to force me to get off of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know, it's so funny is, is, uh, it that stuff just happened so fast, right? You know, I, even when I got my card in the fall of '93, I um, I'm at Q School and I'm hoping to to maybe play the Nike Tour the next year to move up from the Golden State Tour. I thought, okay, well, I'm I'm here at the finals. I'm going to get to play on the Nike Tour next year, and and 
um, I played good enough to get my PGA Tour card, and it was like, oh my gosh, I'm 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 going to the show, right? I, this is this is real, and um, but every week happens so fast, and it, as fast as it gets there, it's gone. Um, and so, and then all of a sudden, you're driving down the next driveway to the next tournament, right? And and it, it just happens, and every week the circus moves from one city to the next, and and uh, that week it just so happened to go from. Atlanta to Augusta. And yeah, the, the feeling there again, going from the guard gate uh, up past the clubhouse and into the parking lot, you know, I'm trying to figure out, okay, where do I go? And it, it's uh, while it was, I was awestruck for a moment. Um, it's, it was one of those things that I felt like I was, if, if I try to, to run on about a four, one out of 10 scale, 10 being like Mike Singletary, uh, one being a, uh, you know, a chess player, I try to run on about four, right? As a golfer that week, I was probably on about eight um, and just running high, trying to soak it all in. Um, and, and yet not even being able to soak it all in, Chris. I mean, it's, it's uh, there, there's so much going on. Uh, I actually had a kink in my neck, so I couldn't even play practice rounds. I, I walked them for a couple of days and, and uh, you know, hit a bunch of pots and, and chips and tried to learn the golf course as best I could without hitting shots. Um, but you know that is the one event uh, in my mind. It's one event. Obviously, it's the same venue every year, Augusta National, and um, uh, it, it was dreamy. You know, I, I, my my mom and dad uh, made the drive from Fort Myers uh, over to watch, and and you know my dad was blown away, and my mom was blown away. So, um, I mean, it was it was such a big deal. I, I and but yet it just I got there Monday, and and I was driving back down Magnolia Lane on Friday. Uh, uh, with a missed cut and uh, you know a little uh, co- commemorative glass with some sand that I stole out of a bunker and um, <laughs> and that and that was that you know I'm like okay now uh, you know back home and then what's next and so um, it's one of those things that you looking back at it I'm so thankful in '97 I had a good year and and um, it was you know one putt away on 18 from getting to play with Tiger Woods on Sunday uh, when he ended up winning by 12 and and uh, making history but. They keep replaying that thing every single year, you know, probably ten or fifteen times a year. So I, I, I get to watch it every year. So I can't forget that one, and um, <laughs> it, it's it still is pretty neat to think back. Um, you know that that dream that that little kid had, uh, while it still seems like a dream that I actually got to live, um, it was reality. And and uh, but uh, but yeah, that was a long time ago. So I got to ask you because there's. Lots of stories of fans trying to steal sand out of a bunker at Augusta National. Um, how did you do it and where is it? Well, so um, I missed the cut, signed my card, went into the uh, merchandise uh, in the clubhouse, right, and, and, and bought some swag. And one of the things I bought was a little commemorative glass uh, that had, you know, the Augusta logo on the front, 1996. And on the back, it had all the winners prior to uh, 96. And, so I thought, well, this would be kind of cool just to have this, you know, as a memento. Um, and I had made an eagle one day uh, that year as well. So, but at the time, I didn't even know I was getting crystal. <laughs> I didn't know all the little the little uh, ins and outs. But so I left with that glass. And as we were pulling out, we drove past the short game area, and I I was in the passenger seat, and I said I told my wife to stop, and I jumped out and and. Uh, ran across the the deal and um i had a 
just a, a paper cup as well. And I just scooped up some sand from the practice bunker and then ran back to my car. <laughs> I said, let's go, let's go, let's go. <laughs> and we, and we got out of there. So uh, I did, I did indeed steal it. Um, when I got home, um, we uh, it, it's sitting in my office at home um, still with the, the sand in the glass. Uh, I put the the ball. It was a, uh, a top flight strat. No, Z Balata. Uh, that I birdied the last hole. I birdied 18 on, on Friday and, uh, I put that ball and my little pin. I was number, I think I was 76 that year that they give you a little pin, lapel pin. And so that's sitting in my office up on the shelf, uh, by some pictures and, and, um, it's been there since 1996. Pretty wow. crazy. That's awesome. Paul, I read that in 1999, you were a Callaway guy, but you slipped some pin clubs in your bag. Is that a true story? And if so, which ping clubs did you throw in there? Yeah, that uh, that was. So I was a ping guy when I got on the tour, uh, 94, 5, 6, and 7. Um, and in I, I left ping in 90, after 97 to start a 98 season to go to Callaway. And, and uh, <clears throat> that was 99, huh? I, I couldn't remember what year it was. But yeah, I was playing Colonial. And uh, I was paired with Corey Pavin and somebody else uh, the first two days. And, and um, I was in a rut. And wasn't playing well, uh, struggling. And so I shot another colonial used to kick my butt anyway, but I probably shot another smooth 75 and I was on my way to missing a cut. And so I woke up Friday morning and I thought, you know what? I'm just going to put my old clubs back in the bag and just see if it's the clubs. I wanted to rule out, is it the arrows <laughs> or is it me? Right. <laughs> and, um, and so. I, uh, I put the pings in the bag and, and I thought, all right, let's just, let's just see, right? They were my, the pings that I won with. And, and you know, um, well, unfortunately, um, Corey Pavin happened to be leading the tournament and the third guy in our group withdrew. So it was just me and Corey and Corey was leading and I was probably eight over par or something like that. And, um, I believe it was Doug Ferguson, um, was falling around and he noticed that in the, in a Callaway bag, there were ping clubs and, and he wrote a pretty, crappy uh article honestly and, and if doug if you're listening you, you you know it was crappy but um because <laughs> he, he he used the words he snuck his these pings in his in his bag you know kind of like that and i thought you know what um i didn't sneak anything in you know Callaway was well aware of the fact that i was struggling and i just got to the point where i'm like i need to rule something out here and so um that's what i did and you know i guess i got caught if you will doug ferguson copy um, but, uh, and that was the deal. And, and I, there again, after that week, I realized, nope, it's not the arrows, it's me. And, um, and I, I didn't play very well, uh, even with my old clubs and, and, uh, and that was that. So, um, you know, that, that's the, uh, that's the backstory, uh, to that. And, and, uh, I do believe that happens all the time when guys, uh, change equipment. And, you know, if, if, uh, any, any young golfers out there are listening, I, I would highly encourage you to play whatever you can play the best with. Don't worry about the money that they pay you. Uh, because there's, there's a heck of a lot of money you can play. You, you can play for a long time with clubs that you really like, um, versus, you know, taking a deal. And, uh, you know, I, I wish I could go back to that point in my career and say, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to stick it out with that, with, with ping, but, um, but I didn't. And uh, at that point, you know, I look back at my career, Chris, and I never won again, uh, which is pretty funny. So was it the pings um, or was it me? I don't know. But um, I'm sure it's probably a good combination of both. But, uh, uh, yeah, that was that was a um, 
uh, I don't want to say it was a low light, um, but I, I just, I just, you know, it, I, I'm a guy, I was a guy struggling and, and uh, wanted to, to rule out. And uh, yeah, I checked the box. I realized, okay, it is, it is me. Let's go figure this thing out. And, and, uh, and I think I did okay the rest of the year. So let's take that a, a step further, though, and, and the idea of changing equipment and, and chasing the money. Because I think we have seen several players, and you mentioned Corey Pavin, I think he might be one of them, that made a, made an equipment change, and it seemed like that was the beginning of, of a downfall for, for, for a slump for, for many, many years. Talk about what it's like to, you know, is when someone comes to you with a big check, you know, in, in their back pocket to, to switch equipment, how big a deal it is to make that switch. You know, it's uh, well, it depends on how much that, that paycheck is. <laughs> you know, some, you know, there are some amounts that you're like, yeah, that's not enough. I'm, I'm going to stick it out. But then sometimes you look at it and, and you're going, man, I, I got to change. It's just golf clubs. I could figure this thing out. Right. Um, and I'm telling you, you could go through, if you went over the last 25 years, there, there, there are a hundred guys that made a change and they regretted it or it took them a long time to figure it out. Right. Um, and so, um, yeah, that's a tough deal. But it, it, as you know, in this in this game of golf, you know there are no guarantees, right? Um, we we just saw this this new tour explode, and and it exploded because you know the the bottomless pit of money that that was thrown at these guys to go to go leave the PGA Tour and go play live golf. Um, they didn't go play live golf because they thought it was going to be an awesome tour. They left because they got paid a boatload of money, right? And so that's the facts and. Um, and that's, it's, that's happened from the beginning of time. Um, any sport, you know, a, a guy doesn't leave the Dodgers to go play for the Giants unless they go pay him more. <laughs> it's always about the money dollar. And, um, you know, I, and so, you know, in, in the game, but unfortunately with golf, uh, there are no contracts, uh, year to year with the PGA tour. There might be contracts with your equipment companies. Um, but the PGA tour says you got to come and play and you got to, perform and if you don't you're there's the door and uh, so you, you better darn well know uh that you can play that equipment uh before you you switch uh for the cash and uh there's a lot of guys um that have done it and uh i'll, I'll use the term regretted it um because they couldn't figure it out and there's some guys like you say that, that did figure it out um and um yeah, I don't even want to name names, but there's plenty of players that would they switch balls, and then lo and behold, they're like this pink thing doesn't work very good, and and then they they go back and they play good again. So not all equipment is good for everybody, right? All equipment yeah. it might be good, but you know what you play, you may love, and I hit it, and it's terrible. So um, it's a big business out here, but like I say, we are a performance based business, and and uh, taking taking the big check to to switch equipment. Uh, might sound really good right now, but when you're scratching and clawing to keep your card the next year and you're thinking, Oh my gosh, I might just lose my job now. Um, you know, what you got paid probably wasn't big enough to, to last for the next 15 years of your life. So, uh, it's better to, to, to stick with what you got, um, and go make your money on the course. Um, you know, that's, that's my, uh, that's my theory. Well, one more before I let you go. And you guys are now looking at. Back-to-back majors. You got a, a week off sandwiched in between, but you, you guys out on the Champions Tour, you've got a major this week. You're off, then you're right back into another major. And golf, as you've talked about, is, is, is a physical grind. 
But then when you add majors to it in back-to-back weeks, it becomes also a mental grind. How do you feel about the, how this thing is scheduled out? Yeah, you know, the uh, well, the good thing is we have a week off between the two. So there can be a little decompression, um, uh, which is nice. I'm sure on the, on the heels of four weeks in a row, uh, I'm not sure how many of the guys played all four. Uh, you know, probably say 75, 80% of us have. Um, and so and this is a four round tournament, um, as well. So, and it's a walking, walking tournament here. Uh, the majors are so, um, they're not going to have the, the, the benefit of the buggy this week. And they got to, they got to, you know, play four days, have a week off, you know, go do some PT and, and ice baths. And then we hit right back up over in, uh, in the Dallas area at Fields Ranch on a really, uh, this is going to be a good test. Um, in a couple of weeks at the PGA, the senior PGA, but uh, I, I like the schedule. We also have a run here in the summertime where we play, I think, I think we might play three straight majors, but with weeks off in between with the players and the, the U S open and the, and the senior British. But um, you know, this is the, this is the stretch, you know, you, you want to play good uh, in major championships and, uh, and uh, here's our chance. Paul, before I let you go, remind our listeners, how can they stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing out there and follow you on social media? Well, on social, I'm uh, I'm just at Paul Stankowski on Twitter. I'm at Paul Stankowski on uh, Instagram. Uh, probably the same on Facebook, I guess. Uh, I've taken a little uh, a little break from from uh, social media uh, engaging. I'm, I still have the accounts. I just have, I took them off my phone just for a minute. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, that's it. I'm, you know, uh, I used to have a, a belt business that I ran and I did broadcasting and right now I'm pretty much just a golfer. Although I will broadcast the, uh, the PGA next week, uh, uh, over Is that right? that, that'll be interesting. Yeah. I'll be doing that on ESPN plus, um, one of the feature group coverage. And so that'll be fun, uh, to get back on the microphone for, uh, for a few days. And I work in the morning and then in the afternoon, I'll be out there grinding away on the golf course. So, uh, next week will be a, a full week for me, but uh, I'm looking forward to that and then looking forward to getting back to the real work. Well, I'm excited to hear that you're going to be broadcasting from the PGA. That'll make the uh, the broadcast that much better. I look forward to not only following you this week, but hearing you the week after that and then back to following you uh, two weeks from now or three weeks from now. So that's that's exciting stuff. And you're you're absolutely one of my favorite people on the planet. I can't thank you so much. For not only spending time with me tonight, you were you were gracious to spend some time uh, Sunday morning on the on the golf show that uh, that I uh, co-host on ESPN Radio. Thank you for both of those things, and thank you for a wonderful half an hour getting to spend some time walking with you out of TPC Sugarloaf. Huge thrills, all of it. Well, I always appreciate uh, being on your show, Chris, and it was great to see you in person. and And uh, keep up the good work, buddy. I appreciate it. You too. Take care, Paul. All the best to you and your family. Look forward to catching up with you again soon. And likewise. Thanks, Chris. See you, Paul. That is the great Paul Stankowski, folks, and a finer human being you will not find on this planet. He is uh, just uh, as friendly and as engaging and as personable as you would want somebody that's out on the, the PGA Tour, the PGA Tour champions to be. He's a great guy. He has, he's, he way undersells himself. He's a tremendous player and we didn't actually get into this, but when you think about where he was, when he left the PGA tour, he was done. He wasn't going to play anymore. He, he took, took some years off, did some things at home and, uh, decided that, uh, he wanted to give it one last, one last run. 
And then he started Monday qualifying and he goes from being a Monday qualifier to a guy that's finishing in the top five or 10. That's, uh, that's just a, a tremendous accomplishment. And, and like I say, when you, when you think about the person who Paul, uh, Paul Stankowski is, it just makes it all the better. And I can't thank him enough for being generous with this time and coming back on the show. And, uh, I look forward to catching up with him hopefully a little bit later on this summer. Okay, coming up next are going to be Eddie Dry and Kevin Roman. Eddie is the VP of Sales for Shrixon Cleveland Golfing. As you know, Kevin Roman's one of the top instructors in our game. Before I get to them, earlier this year at the PGA Merchandise Show, I was talking with Eddie, and I said, Eddie, I like your CBX full-face wedges. How can they help an average player like me play better? Here's what he had to say. An average player... I use one, and I'm in some lies that you can't even believe. And I need all the help I can get. And the face is bigger, and the grooves go all the way up and all the way out to the toe. So if I, you hit it on the toe, you miss it, bam, there's a groove. So I like that. So I carry a, a 58. There you have it, folks. Try the new CBX full face wedges from Cleveland Golf. I want to tell you about something else I saw at the PGA Merchandise Show. And that's me and my golf. And how does a 45-day free trial to Arco sound? Well, me and my golf have partnered with Arcos and are offering 14 free sensors and a 45-day free trial to Arcos Caddy. When you purchase any training aid on shop.meandmygolf.com. This is a limited time offer, so don't miss out. Again, go online to shop.meandmygolf.com. With many years in the business, menswear brand Construct has finally launched its green golf collection, sustainably produced using renewable solar energy and recycled fabrics. Hit your best shot in their performance-enhancing polos, quarter zips, and bottoms. Made with four-way stretch, quick dry, and UV 50-plus protection. From solids to bold, eye-catching designs, Construct Green is the perfect piece for making the best memories on the greens. And the best part? You can head to construct.com and that's C-O-N-X-S-T-R-U-C-T dot com and use code Chris for 20% off the green collection today. All right. Now back in next on the tee with me are Eddie Dry and Kevin Roman. Eddie is the VP of sales for Strixon Cleveland Golf. You hear Eddie every week in our ad here on the show walking us through their wedges, irons, and hybrids. I've had the privilege of spending some time with Eddie a little bit earlier this year at the PGA Merchandise Show, which was very educational for me. And he's he's a great friend of the show. This is for Kevin Roman, the sixth time he has uh, been a part of the show. Kevin, as you'll remember, is the 2014 Georgia PGA Teacher of the Year. He was a golf pro at Cherokee Town and Country Club here in Atlanta for several years. Cherokee is one of the most prestigious clubs we have here in the state, <clears throat> pardon me, in the state of Georgia. Membership by invitation only. He recently spent a few years as the director of instruction at Monterey Peninsula Country Club, which includes two beautiful golf courses out in California, the Dunes and the Shore Course, uh, right next to, uh, right next to Pebble Beach. Besides being one of the top instructors in our game, Kevin is a great player. He's played in a couple of majors, including the 1993 U.S. Open at Baltusrol and the 2009 PGA Championship at Hazeltine, recently moved back east up to New York, and I'm excited I get to have both guys with me here on the show this week. Hey, Eddie. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, Chris. How you doing, Chris? Thanks for having us. 
Guys, I want to spend our time tonight getting some tips and playing lessons from both of you so we can be more successful out there on the golf course. And I want to start by talking about the five wood because, Eddie, like you and I discussed, more and more players are taking their long irons out of the bag in favor of a five wood because they are so much easier to hit, particularly the Shrixon five wood. Talk about your five wood and how choking down on it and using it in some unusual and tough lies and conditions can really improve our game. Well, I'll be happy to. I mean, I'm, I'm listening to, to Fred and Paul. I mean, every time I listen to your show, it's a personal story, you know, very authentic. Same here. I, I was so frustrated one day of playing friends that I, I, I wanted to beat so badly. And, and I'm 15. I hit a really good five iron into the wind with a hill here and get a little bit right. And what do you know? Rolls, just roll down the car path out of bounds. Talking to Kevin the next day or so, and I said, "What am I going to do here? I can't swing perfect every time." And that was a good swing, and it it, it turned into a triple. And Kevin said, "Well, you still got that six on five wood you like?" I said, "Heck yeah! I tee off with it a lot. I hit it off the ground. I take it to dinner. I mean, what else can I do?" <laughs> And seriously, and he goes, you know what I have done in tournaments and I can't because he's been in some national club pro tournaments. Oh, I just I said, what? What have you done? He said, next time you get like that, choke it up almost to the shaft. Aim it straight. Don't overswing and hit it. It'll go straight. It'll go low. Well. I, I, Kevin doesn't even know this, but about two weeks later, I'd hit it a couple of times practicing and I found myself in that position. It was an uphill par four. No way this works. I ended up 12 feet. They conceded the hole before I even putted it. Wow. And, and I go, Kevin, you saved me three strokes right there. Every other round is that way. And it gave us an idea to actually. You know, we make great equipment at Srixon and Cleveland Golf. And I said, you know, it'd be great because we don't have an owner's manual. You know, <laughs> we don't have instructions that it comes with. And I go, Kevin, you're the instructions, baby. How do we, how do we better use our, our product? And there's a lot of people out there like me that do not have a perfect swing. They're not necessarily single digit handicaps. And that's what started the conversation. So, Kevin, walk us through the rest of that. Where did the idea for that shot come from? Actually, uh, I learned that at the uh, 09 PGA. Um, the rough at Hazeltine that week was extremely high, and the guys were having a hard time hitting the greens from 200 yards and plus, and uh, became a uh, flurry of people picking up five woods, and they choked down to literally the right hand was just about on the the graphite there. And by doing that, they got a steeper angle of attack and they made the normal swing. Uh, the ball would come out fairly low, but it would carry, you know, a hundred yards out of that deep rough, but it would roll another hundred. So they were able to scoot the ball up on the greens and uh, escape the deep rough there. Uh, the design of the wood having uh, no hosel compared to an iron uh, just allows it to slide through the grass so much easier. But most people don't think of using that club. Um, you know, many times when I'm giving lessons, people would be in the rough and they'd go, I got to take a seven iron, I'm in the rough. And, you know, the first thing I do is walk over and grab their wood. and Let's try this. 
and they're always shocked at how easy the club slides through the grass. Kevin, for those of us that struggle with our short games, particularly chipping, talk about the benefits of getting a Cleveland wedge with that VSOL technology and how it's going to help us hit better chip shots. Yeah, that's that's one of the things. Most people struggle around the short game because of uh, the old method of teaching with the ball back in the stance, the hands way forward, and it gets the leading edge of the uh, club, the sand wedge, to dig into the ground. Uh, the beauty with the V-sole, and they even have it in their irons and tricks on, is that the leading edge, uh, the bounce is very close to the leading edge. So as soon as you interact with the turf, the club starts sliding through the ground and doesn't lose momentum. So even if you get a little bit on the steeper side, that V-sole covers up a lot of uh, mistakes, makes it a lot easier around the green. Eddie, let's take that a step further because that V-Soul is also available in your irons. Let's talk about how forgiving the Shrixon forged irons are. Yeah, well, and just start off, I mean, how many clubs do you go to? And by the way, for every, for every single digit golfer you have in your audience, there's a hundred of us that's not. But yet, how many times do we go to the range? The range is perfectly flat, perfect grass or mats. Okay. <laughs> And yet you get out on the course and I've got maybe two flat lies with an iron in my hand the entire day. And I was, I was talking to Kevin about this. I said, okay, let, that's another thing that we should have instructions with. I said, the V soul really does go through the turf. There's no doubt about it. And, and forgings have great feel. All of them, the, the seven, the, the five and the four model, which I play and. It's like, you know, is and Kevin can explain this much better, but I know if I have a nine iron distance and I go after it, it's like hitting a driver, Chris. You know, you might hit it, you might not. And if you, and if you miss it, you miss it. But if you hit an eight or even a seven and just slow the swing down, the V soul will go through it. You, I find myself hitting the ball a little bit better before I hit the ground, which is the key to all this thing. But Kevin's a master at that. So I'm learning. Okay, so take it, Kevin. Uh, I don't know about that, but, uh, you know, with the big thing with the VSOL, not only has it got the front to back little bit of bounce to really slide through the turf, um, it also has a little bit of a cutout on the heel and the toe. So when you get those uneven lies, the club, the heel and the toe doesn't get stuck in the ground. So one of the things every time I go to tour events and then, you know, I talk to a lot of the tour players about their equipment, and, you know, they may say, when I put it down, what does it look like? That's their first priority. But then the second thing, and I think the second thing is really overrides the first thing when it comes to uh, importance, is how did the club go through the ground? And out of all the clubs I've played, and that's why you see so many even non-staff players playing the Strix on Iron, is that soul, it just covers up for a lot of mistakes. If you're a little bit on the shallow side and going to come in and catch the grass a touch early, the sole helps slide the club through there so it doesn't dig and you get to the ball. Um, when you hit the ball and it comes through, the club doesn't get slowed down by the turf. So really it keeps up your ball speeds and your distances. Uh, the way the club interacts with the turf also allows you to keep the loft on the club. So you can keep the ball way up in the air and be able to hold the green. So it's, it's got so many benefits that most people don't know about. Um, you know, the tour players do know about it because you see so many players using it. And I know a couple of, uh, Guys that our group that I've kind of helped with 
I've switched to him this year and I've had great success. And it was just funny to see him because it was out of the blue that I saw him. I said, why'd you switch to him? And, you know, Beal, uh, they like a simple forging club that's uh, just got, a, like I said, a great feel. And he goes, the club just goes through the turf so well. So I think most people don't pay attention to how the club goes through the ground. Uh, they're more into the aesthetics, which are important. But to me, I want to know that when I hit the ground, if I'm a little off, is the club going to help me uh, compensate? Eddie, something else we talked about at the PGA Merchandise Show was how forgiving the Strixon forged irons are. Talk about what makes them so forgiving. Oh, by far. Uh, the the seven is played on tour and by Kepka by a ton of people. It ha- it looks like it actually has some some cavity in the back because well it does, and the, yet the sole is thin. It's a V sole. It, it's it just it just promotes confidence. Yeah, when they hit it, they really feel like they understand. Players understand how far it goes. Most of us normal people hit the ZX five and the ZX four, and the four is picked up a lot this year. The four has a bigger sole, but that's okay with me. Uh, if it goes through that grass and it helps me when I miss it, that's great. Uh, in fact, it's very great. So a lot of people are doing combo sets, Chris. And, uh, when they do, they always think I have to come back because our wedges are our RTX sixes are doing so well. People are, uh, that because of the VSO and because we rounded the leading edge, it's like Kevin said, the leading edge is very important. Well, we rounded it a lot this year. So when you hit one of our RTX sixes, you, you've actually got a head start, if you will. You got a better chance. And they're starting to match up the gaps. You know, gaps are probably 43 on the seven, I think, a degree. And so do you really want to start with a 52, 56, 60? A lot of people are going to a 48 degree, even a 46, but a 48, a 54 and a 58 degree, which is, which is interesting too. So it's, it's, it's the forgings and it's not just that. It seems that they combo well with wedges and we have some people comboing. I'll tell you, even good, good players will put a five ZX five, but have a little more forgiveness in the uh, five iron, in the six iron, five iron, four iron, and it's changed their game. No. Not, not everybody can hit a utility iron. Eddie, just a level set with everybody. When you talk about combo sets, you guys have the ZX seven, the ZX five, and the ZX four model irons. And people can actually mix and match irons from all of those different sets because they may like the feel of one set of irons here. Maybe I like the three and four of the ZX4. Maybe I like the middle irons for the ZX5. They can go back and forth between sets to get the right feel for them. Talk about that. Well, I I don't even think I can name names, but probably the number one player in the world carries two of our low irons. A lot of forgiveness. Okay. Now, and talking about a three iron, four iron, two iron, three iron. Uh, and, and there are some people that are carrying a hot four iron. And I say hot. I mean, they, it doesn't match their clothes, but they have a graphite shaft in it. It might be a half inch longer and they hit it a mile. And you'll see some of the, a lot of, a lot of players out here, even at my club. We'll, we'll, we'll combo ZX5 and ZX7 or ZX4 and ZX5. 
And you don't even have to be a single digit to enjoy the ZX5 forging and the pitching wedge, the nine iron, the eight iron, Chris. And then the seven iron, you might just go with fours. And you still have a forging and you have forgiveness and you have V-Soul in all three of them. So to that point, Eddie, I mean, a lot of folks, when they go to buy their iron set, we may go into a big box show. We may go to our friends here at the PGA Tour Super Show. We buy it right off the rack. Maybe we hit a couple of shots in the in the base that they have there. The beauty of what you guys are doing with your fittings is really going through the bag and maybe, hey, I need the four iron and the five iron in a, in a ZX4, but boy, the middle irons and the scoring irons are better for me from a forge perspective to go with the ZX5. And then I get into, into my wedges from, from the Cleveland piece. So I'm really getting the full scope of all the different things that you guys offer. Is that what I'm understanding? You are understanding that. And, and I, as I started this, I'm a, I'm a big fan of world class teaching. I think we've just scratched the surface of having, uh, Roman and, and as I call him, Roman's legion with all of his development players <laughs> teaching us how to use our own damn clubs. But the better the club, the, be- the better. And we, we pay a lot of attention to detail. And I really do think that. And, you know, you, and the fitters today are so much better. Fitters, whether it's, it's retailers or green grass, go see your local pro. They can help you fit. And Roman can tell you that. Uh, and, but, you know, just, just from a point of view here, from one to another, you know, there are certain irons in your bag you hit well. And you shouldn't discount that. You should find out why. You should find out if the length is different, if it's bent different. You can take it to uh, any fitter and they can tell you for it and say, so your new set of clubs, maybe you want them more like the irons you hit well. You know, just just make them over in those specs. Kevin, let's talk about something that uh, I need your help on. We we mentioned a little bit, a bit ago about uneven lies, right? Ball below your feet. Ball above your feet is, as Eddie was talking about, you know, when we're out on a golf course, we don't, we don't get the perfectly flat lie. And, and uh, some of the courses I play, like our friends up at the McLemore, a mountain golf course where you've got all kinds of different lies, whether, like I say, above or below your feet. Let's talk about those forgiving irons and how they can help us on those uneven lies. Yeah. Like we were saying about that sole with the little bit of the cut out the notches in there. So. When the ball's above you and below you, uh, you're less likely to catch the heel. Because if the heel catches, it'll generally tend to close the face dramatically. And that's what you'll see out of the rough in some of the majors. You'll see the ball come out low and left. And it's because it catches down in that area. So with the little cutouts they have, it just allows you to not have to fight the lie as much. And that's one of the things I think most people don't understand is, you know, when you got the ball above and below your feet, the middle of the sole isn't necessarily going to make the first contact. It's usually the edges of the club. And having clubs that allow the edges to be just, lack of better words, a little bit of a cutaway with the sole design just gets the club to go through there, stabilizes the face so the ball flies a lot straighter. Um, you know, like when you get a ball above your feet, if you use a straighter face club, it, it'll flat, tend to fly straight, maybe a little bit for a right-hander to the left. Um, but if I took a wedge in there, the loft is going to make it shoot pretty far left. So anytime I can let the club help me hit the ball straighter off those side hill lines and me not have to make big compensation is always a big plus. 
Kevin, one thing that I need your help on, I think a lot of weekend players like me, what we do too often, if you watch players on, on the tour, and let's say 150 yards for me is a full eight iron. If it's a gap wedge for a tour player, whatever, they might hit 150. They go one club down, take a three-quarter swing because they can, tr- can control the club face better and make more solid contact. We- weekend players like me, we don't do that. We just know it's a full eight iron swing, and we go at it hard. Talk about why clubbing down and swinging easier can actually help us score better. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I see it a lot for myself, especially down into the shorter range. When you get the ball in the rough and you go at it hard, the ball, even though it may look like it's sitting down sometimes in the rough, it's still on a good cushion of grass down there. And it's very easy when you swing hard at it to um, have a steeper angle of attack you catch the ball very high on the blade and the ball just kind of comes out dead. It doesn't reach the green. So by taking a little less club or a little more club, excuse me, a little more club, I may grip down just a tiny bit on it, but I can make, like you said, a three quarters, maybe, you know, something like that where I don't have to try to hit it hard so I can hit the ball more on the face of the club versus too high on the face by going down underneath the ball. I also think that most people, uh, think I have a 150 yard club, but they really don't know exactly how far that club would fly. You know, one of the best things that you watch tour players, you may see these crazy numbers that they hit the ball. And that was always one of my things when I go to events, I was, how far do you hit this? And when they give you your, their carry yardages, it's not as skewed as it looks like on TV because they're playing in a major or the greens are firm. They're going to land it on the green. Out of the rough, it's going to have less spin, so it's going to roll. So they're playing for 15 yards of release. So your 150-yard shot, you really probably, if you have green in front of you, you only need to carry it 135 yards. So take a little extra club, choke down a little for control. And by not swinging as hard, you're going to make contact more in the center versus letting the club get dug deep and get the ball high on the face. It's very common, especially down there in the Bermuda. That ball is sitting all kinds of funny ways down there. Eddie, a bit ago, you mentioned your wedges and the CBX and the RTX wedges. Talk about the difference between the two and how getting those wedges in our hands are going to help us knock down flag sticks more often. First of all, the, the, you know, the, there's, there's two basic and then there's a, a, a smart soul line, but let's talk about, like you said, the RTX stick is somewhat of a blade, somewhat of a wedge that you, a lot of people are used to, like the old 588. And then there's the new CBX, which is a cavity back. Uh, if you, we have, we have, uh, made it better and better to where if you look down at the faces, they're not that much different anymore, Chris, but the CBX has a bit, a larger sole. And if you're not that good out of the sand, you're not that good out of the dirt. It still has a V sole. I would look at the CBX. I would. I, I think there's, there's a lot of benefit there. It flies a, a, a more of a, uh, standard yardage for you. If you hit a 56, 75 yards and you miss it a little on the toe, it, it might get 70 yards, you know? So the CBX zip is, and it has the same zip cord, uh, zip grooves. It has a lot of spin. So you had to look at both of them. And then there's the full face and full, it, both models have a full face and we'll probably go into that another time. Okay. But. But uh, those are two big choices you have right there. 
One takes a little bit bigger divot, the RTX 6, and one might take a little smaller divot uh, or uh, has a lot more bounce on it. You've touched a point of interest for me because everybody knows my the weakest part of my game is the sand. Mm. And and what your wedges do help helps us get out of the sand with a lot more consistency. Yeah. Talk about what I need to have in my bag. Uh I I know that um that the reason I say in a lot of shots what would Roman do to myself it helps me. And in this case, what Roman might do is get, get, pull out a 60-degree wedge. But for you, I would pull out a 58-degree wedge. A 58-degree wedge is a lot easier to hit than a 60, okay? It's a lot more consistent. It's not as hard to hit. And uh, uh, for amateurs that really want to just get in the middle of the green, uh, I like a 58-degree, which means you could take a 54 uh, uh, in your bag also, because how many times have you hit a 56 degree wedge and you've come up short of your target? Right. But with a 54, you're going to get there. And then with a 58, you have a much better chance of getting out of the sand than with a 60. Yeah. So talk about why that is, because you and I were talking about that at the PGA merchandise show, because I've got a 60 in my bag mm-hmm. and it's, it's not the best club that I've got. But you <laughs> recommended that I should go down to a 58. Talk about why. Well, the sole's a little bigger. Usually we design them with, uh, if someone wants a 60, they usually have less bounce, Chris. They want less bounce. Uh, but, but the 58 has a, it's really more consistent. And the V sole works actually a little better with the 58 because there's more of it that touches the ground than with a 60. Okay. Or a 64 for that matter. But, but, uh, but I like the 58 degree. And and I think it can help. Kevin, I want to get another playing lesson from you. And as one of the top instructors in our game, you would observe a lot of us amateurs out on the, the practice tee or doing a playing lesson with us. If you could give us one lesson tonight for all of our listeners that are going to be going out and playing this weekend, one thing that you want us to be able to do better based on your observations, what's that one piece of advice? It's a great question. It's a loaded question, but it's a great question. <laughs> um, um, honestly, I really liked what Eddie had to say there. I think people can open the face or lower the handle to add some loft around the green. So I think using less loft, uh, the 54s and the 58s, um, when you're chipping and pitching around the green uh, versus your high lofted clubs. So if, you're, if yours is a 58, Try it this weekend, trying to use your 54 a lot and see what happens. I think you'd be surprised because your contact will be better, your your distance control, your spin will be more consistent. And I do think that most people um, carry their lofted wedges. They got too much loft on them. Um, they were designed originally with Dave Peltz. I asked this question to a couple of the other teachers the other day. I remember when Tom Kite came out with it in the uh, 80s with Dave Peltz, and it was basically to control uh, the less than full shots into the green. But somehow everybody's taken that club now and turned it into it's just for flop shots and pitch shots around the green. So it makes it a lot harder the more loft you have. you got to be more precise. So instead of taking your lob wedge out this weekend, grab your sand wedge when you're going to hit that shot and see what happens. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Yeah. Eddie, before I let you and Kevin go, let's sort of wrap things up and summarize. 
all the great technology that Trixon and Cleveland Golf has available right now. And then if we can look out a little bit later on this summer or into the future, what is something you guys are working on that we can get really excited about? One thing we didn't touch on is golf balls. And if there, if you're going to talk about scoring, don't be afraid to ask people you buy golf balls from to tell you the difference in these balls, whether it's Q-Star Tour, it's a Z-Star, XV, it's a diamond. Find out what choices you have. It, it makes a difference. It makes a, it makes a big difference. Uh, if you hit it out of bounds a lot, you take the Q star tour, it goes straight, you know, period. Just hit it, go find it. So I think, I think those are wonderful things. Um, the exciting news for us, but I told you our wedges and our irons are doing well. And we have a lot of interest now in the, in the wood, in the, in the Mark II woods because they're so dang fast. So we make a seven, we make a five, and they go, and they are quick. They have a lot more ball speed, and if you haven't thought about it, well, that's, that's a good place to go start. They are $499. they are not six, seven, and 800 but you try them, put it in the mix, and see what happens. And, and we have a version LS low spin that might just allow people to cut some of the spin where they – they slice it and it goes out of bounds or it goes not where they want to get more off and maybe try something like that. That could be exciting for some people. And Eddie, if I correct me if I'm wrong, but when we were talking at the merchandise show, the ball speeds that are coming off your drivers, they're the top of the game, right? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody, I mean, we're, we're finding three mile an hour. You don't find three mile an hour. Usually you really don't. And, you don't have to swing 105 mile an hour to see that speed increase. Uh, I mean, you, you're at 88. You want to be at 90. If you're 92, you'd love to be at 95. And for everybody between 95 and 100, you'd love for it to be at 100 most times. And you can do that. You need to go in with somebody that can fit you. You don't want to do it yourself because there are a lot of choices in shafts and you can take a head and you can adjust it 40 ways. So get get to a fitter that knows what they're doing and let them see the numbers. You have too much spin. You have too little off, uh, launch. Whatever it is, they can fix it pretty quick. And then take a look at your ball speed. Eddie, how can our listeners stay up to date with all the great things the brands are doing, whether it's following you guys online or it's on social media? Yeah, DunlopSports.com. Dunlop Sports has, has been a name we've had for a long time, and we have kind of gone to that. So you look up Dunlop Sports. Kevin, how can our listeners stay up to date with all the great things you're doing? And also, uh, for those of us like me that need help with our game, how can we get it from one of the best out there? Yeah, I'm on uh, Instagram and Twitter, Kevin Roman Golf. And, uh, you know, my email, kroman at pga.com if anybody has questions. And and one of my videos I put out with another instructor, uh, I said, you can send me some videos. Well, I get a lot of videos. So if somebody ever wanted to send something, I'll be happy to take a look at it. I appreciate that very much. Eddie, Kevin, thank you so much. You guys are two of the best in the business. I can't thank you enough for your time tonight and in educating us. And uh, and hopefully we get the privilege of catching up with you guys a little bit later on this year. That's fine, Chris. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you, guys. Take care, Eddie. Take care, Kevin. We'll catch up soon. That is the great Eddie Dry and Kevin Roman, folks. Like I say, two of the very best in our business. Eddie's equipment knowledge 
is second to none. He's a great resource for what, you know, combinations of models and shafts and golf balls and fitting those all together so that you can play your very best golf this year. I tell you what, when I got to spend some time with him down at the PGA Merchandise Show, it was a huge golf education for me, kind of going through all the different clubs and their equipment lines and learning about how it's going to make a big difference in my game and, and in everybody's game. I mean, the, the wedges are outstanding. The ball speed that I learned about with their drivers, I think, is very underrated, and very few people know how good their drivers are. And then when we want to talk about combo sets and his educating me about, hey, you know, maybe in a longer iron, you might want the ZX4, but in your mid irons, maybe that's a five. Um, the fact that you can mix and match that way, I think, is a huge benefit that a lot of equipment lines don't let you do. But they are there to help you. And again, like Eddie said, you got to get professionally fit. You want one of their fitters to be able to take you through that so you can, you know, hit all the different combinations of, of heads and shafts. But it was, like I say, it was a huge education for me. And, and Eddie is a tremendous resource. So hopefully we get the privilege of having both of those guys back on the show again, maybe a little bit later on this summer. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the T. My sincere thanks again go out to Scott McCarron, Paul Stankowski, Eddie Dry, Kevin Roman, and Fred Lynn for joining me this week. Scheduled to join me next week are our resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick, will be back, as will one of the all-time great golf course photographers and a PGA professional in his own right, Evan Schiller, will be here, as will PGA Tour legend Bruce Devlin, and then we're going to round it out with former PGA Tour Pro, now Dr. Bill Mallon. Folks, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your day to make Next on the Tee a part of your golf content. You can find this show available as a podcast just about anywhere you get your podcasting content. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audio Boom, Player.fm, and Good Pods. And my thanks to those folks for making Next on the Tee one of their recommended podcasts. Download their free app and you can stream all of your favorite podcasts on your favorite device on Good Pods. And most of all, my sincere thanks to all of you. You guys are the greatest supporters in the history of podcasts. I appreciate you all so very much. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.